KRDO News Radio is KRDO FM Security, Colorado Springs, Pueblo. KRDO AM, Colorado Springs. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us here this evening at the Ent Center for the Arts here at UCCS. I'm Andrew Rogers from KRDO News Radio. The KRDO Network, along with Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity, is hosting this mayoral forum tonight, focusing directly on affordable home ownership. Again, I'm Andrew Rogers, my co-moderator, Bart Bedsell from KRDO News Channel 13. Thank you so much. We want to welcome up Chris Lewis, the Executive Director and CEO of Habitat for Humanity, who's helping to host this event tonight. Good evening, and thank you for joining us, and thank you, Andrew, for introducing me. Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity has been building homes, community, and hope in El Paso County since 1986. We have lifted up more than 200 families to the opportunities that simple, decent, affordable home ownership can provide. We're best known for our new home construction, where families qualify by meeting three criteria. They have to have a need for affordable housing, they have to be able to pay their affordable mortgage, which means it's a hand up, not a handout, and they work on 200 hours of sweat equity, building their homes, their neighbors' homes, and coming together to build a community. Not only are we known for our home construction, we also have a repair program. That repair program is focused on seniors and veterans of low income to very low income. They are homeowners who want to stay in their homes for as long as possible to maintain their own dignity, but they need to be able to do this in a way that they are safe, we address health issues and accessibility, and that's what our repair program does. It also requires sweat equity, which is a varied, uh, all, all sorts of fun things that come up with seniors. We're not gonna put them up on the roof if they need a roof, but there are other things that we do. The biggest toolbox that we can possibly have are all of you. And in that toolbox, a very large tool is advocacy, and that's what we're doing tonight. When you have advocacy, that means you're doing a phenomenal job of increasing awareness of critical issues such as the crisis of affordable housing here in Colorado Springs, across our state, and our nation. And with advocacy, we come together with government entities to create ways not only for the awareness, but to create systemic change that is positive in a number of ways. This is why KRDO and Pikes Peak Habitat came together to create this forum. We want to put a nonpartisan lens on a bipartisan issue that should have nonpartisan solutions. And with that, I will turn it over to Bart. Chris Lewis, everyone, Executive Director of Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to those who are watching live online, listening live on the radio. Before we start, we'll go over a few rules, and there are only a few rules, so we please ask that you stick to them. All candidates will be given the same questions. You will have between 30 seconds and 90 seconds to answer each question. The time for each response will be given before each question. 
If one candidate is directly mentioned in another candidate's answer, there will be a 30-second rebuttal allowed. We're going to start the first question going left to right. The next question will go from right to left, and so on, and alternate thereafter. We're going to start with candidate introductions, and the first to introduce themselves is candidate Sally Clark. Thank you for being here. I'm Sally Clark, and I'd like to say that I appreciate you offering this opportunity to talk about affordable housing tonight, which is one of the top issues that I get asked. Um, I have unique qualifications. I've served at the local, state, and federal level in my previous positions as a city council member, a county commissioner, and as a state director for U.S. Department of Agriculture Rural Development. In addition, I'm a small business owner and a military wife. I'm uniquely qualified, and I asked to earn your support as the 42nd mayor of Colorado Springs. Sally Clark, electclark.com. Thank you. Mr. Rodebaugh. Hello, everyone. I am Callan Reese Rodebaugh. As many of you do not know, I am running for mayor of Colorado Springs. Um, but I've, I love this city. I traveled here as a kid every year to go camping with my dad. And as soon as I got a chance to move out here seven years ago, I did. I love this city. I love everything about it. But affordable homes right now, we are in a crisis. Uh, this forum is about talking about affordable housing. But it's basically talking about unicorns. Uh, to be honest with you, when's the last time you've seen an affordable house? Ask yourself that around the same time. Uh, but I am Callan Reese. I uh, hope to have your vote for mayor of Colorado Springs. And thank you for your time. Mr. Martinez. How are you doing, Lawrence Joseph Martinez? What is affordable housing? Affordable housing is the ability to be able to pay your rent but have something left over to be able to support your family. A lot of families now are using up to 80% of their income just for housing. What we need to do is we need to take a look where to infill in certain parts of town with apartments that people can afford. If a developer can do build a $40 million apartment complex downtown, they should be able to build affordable housing. Example, Southeast. We're not asking that they lose money on it. We're just asking them to build a little less. Nothing fancy, just a place where people can live. I've been associated with the Habitat uh, community, and I think they do a great job in what they do. We all need to participate and listen to what needs to be done so people can have a place to live. Thank you. Mr. Mobilade. Thank you for having me, and thank you to Habitat for Humanity. My name is Yemi, and I'm running for mayor because my city needs my leadership. The stakes are higher. Def definitely, the leadership needs to be higher as well. And here's what I mean. You know the issues. It's housing, it's infrastructure, it's economic vitality. But to solve every one of these issues, you need a leader who can navigate the cultural, political, and social dynamics of this time. I'm a husband, so an incredible woman, parents to three young kids, I'm a business leader, I'm the product of the American dream, and I want to make sure the American dream is accessible for our residents. Vote for Yemi. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Hello, uh, my name is Christopher Mitchell. Uh, I'm an engineer, and I've lived here in Colorado Springs since 1998. Uh, I'm running for office because I see that the city is really faced with uh, a multi a, group, a large group of many problems that we need to work on together and affordable housing is just one of those. 
The one thing that I see as an engineer is that the, the challenges we face as a community are all intertwined and need to be addressed as such. And Mr. Teigen. John Tig Teigen. What I saw over the over the, the COVID pandemic is the reason one of the main reasons why I'm running. We're supposed to be citizens that control our government, but our government's controlling us. Them forcing mandates on us is not what our founding fathers wanted. It's what they fought against, and we need to continue to fight against that because right now they're they're controlling us. We need to take the power back and control our government. That's the main reason why I'm focusing on running and to be your next mayor. We will move on to our very first question, starting with Ms. Clark. This is a 30-second answer. What is your definition of affordable home ownership? Well, the reality is that it depends on how much you make. So we need more primary jobs here in Colorado Springs in order for people to be able to afford their own homes. But if you look at the median household income, which ranges roughly between seventy-seven dollars to $88,000 a year, and interest rates have a big piece of that. No one should be paying more than 30% of their income on rent or on home ownership. And so that is really where we have to start in terms of setting whether that's home ownership or that is rentals. Same question for Mr. Rodebaugh. What affordable housing is to me is where I don't have to ask my parents for money for rent. Um, and it sh no one should spend half their income on rent. Uh, it decreases the quality of life. Uh, I think we should work on having jobs uh, that can pay enough to where we can live here in this state because we are being priced out of our homes with the average house being $430,000. Uh, not a lot of people can afford that. Uh, so that's what affordable housing is to me. Mr. Martinez. So in Southeast, the people that are living there are using up to 50% of their income just for housing. What we need to do is we need to remove certain situations. Uh, capping rent isn't going to work because developers won't build. What we need to do is take a look at community investment in these places. It's great that everybody wants to start a program now, but why wasn't a program started 10 years ago so we wouldn't be in this situation? Our past politicians didn't take a look at that. It's incredible now they say we can fix the problem now. Should have been fixed when they were in office. What we need to do now is invest more in the community and have the community part of our conversation and what's needed. Mr. Mobilade. In 2019, 71% of homes were considered affordable by the median income household. That means 30% of your income, over 30% of your income is not spent on housing. Today, that number is only 24% of homes that are affordable. To make matters worse, we are 12,000 units short. Demand is high, supply is low, and that's what's driving the prices of homes. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you. Um, to me, affordable means, in terms of housing, is that you can live with a sense of self-determination in your life without having to worry month to month that you're about ready to lose the place where you live. And I know many people in this town that would say that they can't afford to uh, pay their rent and they can't afford their mortgage simply because of the fact that they're being priced out of markets. So once again, self-determination without the worry is affordability. And finally, Mr. Teigen. 
I hate repeating what everybody says, but being last, you kind of have to for the most part. But affordable housing is not living paycheck to paycheck, not worrying if you can afford your utilities over food, if you can afford your rent over your car payment. And with, with the prices going up, with the interest rate just keep on skyrocketing, inflation going up, it's, it's a multitude, it's a tier issue. So it's not just going to be one thing that's going to fix it all. It's going to take a community, it's going to take organizations, businesses to help stop this influx of, of the rising cost. For question number two, you'll have 60 seconds to answer. And good news, Mr. Tiger, you're not going to have to repeat anybody because you're going to answer first on this one. The question is, what do you consider the primary causes of the affordability crisis in Colorado Springs? Primary causes of affordability, I think it's big business. Uh, it's corporations that are buying up houses, buying up apartments, and actually fixing their own prices and holding on to those prices. Uh, if you just go around, you can see big corporations, even foreign entities are owning apartments, owning houses, and charging what they want to charge. That's one of, the, one of the major issues I'm thinking is driving up the cost besides the people from California you know, selling their 1,000 square foot home for $5 million and coming here and buying a house. I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge problem just across our nation. And it, how to fix it, it's, I think, holding these corporations and companies that are buying up houses to rent them out at big cost and just cap them. I mean, that's, that's going to be one thing. And, Lowering our taxes. I mean, we got we had one of the highest taxes. We were 15 out of out of the out of the country with taxes. We got to lower those taxes. There's all kinds of all kinds of fat we can cut. We don't have an income problem. We have an allocation problem. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. I, I feel where we are coming up short is that the city does not have a job to create affordable housing. It has a job to create growth with stability and growth with stability means that the city is working with the developers with the community and finding balanced solutions it's really that it's simple in concept but in implementation it's going to require a great deal of rework of government departments and their attitudes toward development such as the planning department currently they have no plan going forward for growth with stability. And as mayor, I will see that the planning department adopts better practices going forward. Mr. Mobilati. I did um, a meet and greet recently where a teacher, a former teacher was in a house and with tears in her eyes, she was describing how she used to be a teacher and she's no longer because she cannot afford to live in this community. Friends, this problem is real. With, it's a simple math. It's economics. We are 12,000 units short. We have to increase the supply of housing. The people that are most affected are the pillars of our community, our firefighters, our law enforcement officers, our military personnel, our teachers. These are the people that make between 50 to 100,000 a year. There's virtually no housing for the pillars of our community. And as mayor, I will be taking that on with some solutions that I hope to be able to tell you later on. Thank you. Mr. Martinez. Wages, wages, wages. 40% of our population lives off $24,000 or less. 
through the LPMR Foundation, we did a program called Crosswinds in which we took out uh, lower income kids and median income kids to come out to see what college was like. We educated these kids and here's programs, you can afford college. You know, you can either be in debt being poor or you can be in debt by having a, a degree. So we need to start working with the kids in the 11th and 12th grade to get them ready when they come out to be able to jump right to a job. We need to get to corporations. We need to let them know what we have here and the ability to fill the jobs they need. By training our kids in high school, they can get right out and go right on to the job. This way they can make a dependable living. It's incredible how when kids grew up here and they went to school here, be it it takes four of them to live in a one bedroom, five in a two bedroom just to be able to afford it. So we need to restructure what we're doing for kids. We need to make sure they're educated when they come out of high school and they can start working immediately. Mr. Roderbaugh. That's a great question. Uh, there is a lot of problems right now with that. The prices of homes have risen rapidly over the past two years. The Federal Reserve has raised the interest rate over the last two years. Labor and supplies to build a home has went up over the past two years. It's not in control of the city, but that's one of the factors that's also being added on there. And there's also not a lot of incentives for land developers to develop affordable housing right now because they can make a $450,000 house and it will be bought. There's no problem selling a home here due to supply and demand. So that's really one of our largest problems that we have. And also wages. People don't make enough money to afford these houses. Uh, the average person uh, so that's really one of the big, that's the problems that I have seen and read about. Thank you. And finally, Ms. Clark. Sally Clark. Uh, first of all, there are several different factors. Um, building materials, certainly property values have changed. The inventory of what we have left in our city is really limiting, I think, the affordability of homes. In addition to that, the city council recently passed a water ordinance that will limit the growth outside of the city boundaries. We have to look at that, and I didn't agree with that decision because I believe that under my administration we would put in a 90-day task force to look at this, to work with El Paso County, to work with the city, and actually look at creating more land use policies that are consistent between both of those government agencies. And because I served as a county commissioner and a city council member, I see the possibilities ahead. I think that also Proposition 123, which recently passed on the ballot, may offer some new solutions and opportunities as we go forward in looking at options for new housing for individuals who may need to be able to afford it. Our third question this evening will start with Ms. Clark. This will have a 60-second answer for it. And starting with you, Ms. Clark, what do you believe to be the biggest barrier right now to affordable home ownership in Colorado Springs? Well, I think, frankly, it, it's the price of houses um, and the fact that the interest rates have gone up. Um, when my husband and I first bought our home, 21% was the prime rate. Uh, so you can imagine how much we could afford. The lower the interest rate, the more you can afford. When it was 3%, you might have been, if you were in the median income level, afford, be able to afford a $220,000 house. Now you can't do that. There, you can't find a $220,000 house 
much less be able to afford it with the interest rates we're seeing now. I think it's going to take working with nonprofits like Habitat for Humanity. When I worked for USDA in rural development, one of the primary things we did was self-help programs to help nonprofits and sell those loans to be able to help folks get equity in their own homes. And I think that I can implement some of those same policies as mayor of Colorado Springs. Thank you, Sally Clark. Same question for Mr. Rodebaugh. The price, price of homes. Uh, the median price of home is $430,000, $450,000. How is a first time home buyer supposed to afford that on their income? Teachers, nurses, firefighters, police officers, essential workers. You're going to need over $110,000 to be able to afford that mortgage uh, or else you're spending over half your income. Um, so that's the biggest problem that we have really with it. And I think there should be more trailer parks as well. Um, but that's really one of the problems that we're running into right now is mainly the price of homes. Thank you. Same question for Mr. Martinez. So once again, we go back to wages. One of the things we need to do is, yes, we need to work with nonprofits, but we can't depend on them. Ten years ago, I saw this problem growing. You saw that they stopped building apartment complexes. They stopped building affordable housing. With all our past and now politicians, they should have seen that as well. They're paid to do that. What we need to do is restructively take a look at who's building at what cost. We can't do building outside of Colorado Springs. We end up having to hook up everything to them that are out there further out west, north, south. That cost us, that increases our utilities. So why should we pay that much more for somebody who wants to build that far out? Fill in what we have now in Colorado Springs. Hook up where we are here now. Let's make sure those developers that are building out that way come up with a plan, not a 128 year plan for water, but a 50 year plan. Let's make sure that they can say we can keep water adequate for us that are here. But we have to also tell them you know, it's great that you build a house at 450000 By the time they pay it off, it's a million dollars because right now the rate's 7%. It's not going to come down. They're going to keep it high so inflation and recession doesn't hit us as hard. So change the structure on how we think, work more with the government, and We apologize. That was a 60-second question. Same question. Again, 60 seconds for Mr. Mobilade. The definition of insanity, you've heard it. Doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. Friends, housing innovation. We cannot do the same things and expect the results to be different. And some of you in this room actually are pursuing that. I, I went to a, a community dedication of Habitat for Humanity and I got to see housing innovation implemented in new ways of approaching building and new ways of exploring building materials. As a developer here in the room, I mean, one of the things that they want to do is every one out of every four houses will be dedicated to affordable housing. So friends, we have to be open to new ways of housing and I will champion those efforts as mayor. Thank you. Same question now for Mr. Mitchell. Thank you very much. Um, I feel that the biggest factor with obtaining affordable housing is what I call a lack of understanding at the city level and with the partners such as the HBA they don't understand growth with stability I talked to the HBA I've talked to people in city government they don't get it 
They think that just building more things at a fast rate is somehow going to alleviate the price pressures. And they have a, uh, what I call, a narrow-minded view on how growth should be managed. And as mayor, I will root that out in the, the planning department, starting with them, because that's where it lies, most of the problems. Uh, especially with Retool COS, which is an ill-conceived uh, plan that was just recently passed. Thank you very much. Our final answer, again, 60 seconds from Mr. Teigen. Can you repeat the question one more time? Yes, the question is, what do you consider to be the greatest barrier for affordable home ownership in Colorado Springs? What? What do you consider to be the greatest barrier to affordable home ownership in Colorado Springs? Well, obviously it's affordability. Um, <clears throat> it's also, I think, just the job field that we have in here. I mean, we got more entry-level jobs than I think we do career jobs, in my opinion. We got a lot of fast food joints that are just coming in here. We got the, the franchises that are just moving in, and that's really it. We're not, we got some, some tech companies that are coming in. But it's, it's the income, it's, it's the job level, it's the skill level. You know, we got, we got college, you know, UCCS right here, um, and kids are moving out, they don't wanna stay. They want, you know, we got Intellitech, trade school. Um, I just, it, it's, it's, it's all, it's a multitude of things. The biggest barrier, again, it's, I think it is, it's, it's the developers, they're just, they're just exploding. A lot of people even, they gotta go back, uh, what was it, Stetson Hills, developer fell to community, and, and we had to go back and, and the county actually came out and purchased the, the land and the houses for the taps because, again, the builder failed. And, but the barrier is uh, it's, it's the jobs and income. Question number four is a 60-second answer. And just so the audience knows, there is a timer back there that the candidates can see so they know exactly how much time they have left. Uh, once again, for Mr. Teigen, question number four, are there any initiatives that you believe could make homeownership more equitably affordable and available in Colorado Springs? More initiatives. For one, you can become your own home builder. Um, I didn't know how to build a house, ended up doing it. Saved us about $200,000 uh, because we didn't have a general contractor. And initiative-wise, again, you have Habitat for Humanity, that's what they do. Again, there's a lot of not foundations and nonprofits that come and that help people build homes, help them uh, get into homes. And, you know, one, one initiative, actually talking, and I, with one of the organizations that I got is tiny homes. Um, you build them, let, let the low-income people that get in there, it's a good start, especially for the people just starting off, a lot of veterans that are coming out. They need a place to kick off. Let them get stable. Let them in, let them get their skills inside the community. And but the, the yeah the initiatives it, it's just sorry I'm um, it's just frustrating seeing that this community going down and having these politicians that have been here since I've been junior high store in our community. It's very frustrating. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, I talked to a representative at the Habitat for Humanity desk before this. Uh, forum, and she really enlightened me about initiatives where land developers actually donate land for houses, and I thought that was cool. And that's what we need to do. We need to start, I, I, I talked earlier, community, city, and developer cooperation. Not a one-sided thing, 
but a joint effort. And when she mentioned that uh, program, she said that we want to get more developers involved in such, such initiatives. And so my point is, is the city really shouldn't be involved in these initiatives. They should be leading the charge to form the coalitions to do the work and to represent these three entities, the city, community, and the developers equally in our move forward on growth. Mr. Mobilati. While there's no silver bullet to fix this issue, I am proud of the many efforts by leaders and, and organizations in our city that are actually moving the needle forward. I see an opportunity as mayor to further this work and to create an even more coordinated effort uh, b between public and private partnerships. And as mayor, one of the things that you will see me do is to appoint, without adding any new, new position, I will appoint a housing uh, officer that reports directly to me to advance the city's housing priorities. Number two, the missing middle income. We're going to start a gap fund to promote and encourage housing innovation supported by philanthropy and foundations. And number three, we have to start expediting these projects because speed to market is everything. The sooner we get those projects completed, the sooner, I mean, the quicker, we, the, the better those homes have the potential of being affordable. Thank you. Mr. Martinez. We need to educate people on what it takes to buy a house. 12th grade economical class. They can learn what they need to do to be able to buy a house, how to save, what they need to do when they leave. We also need to re-educate the community itself on what they can afford and what they need to do to be able to move into a house. It's incredible when you have people that are in their 40s and 50s moving into their first house and taking till almost the time that they need to go into a nursing home to have it paid off. So we need to re redirect initiatives. Everybody keeps talking nonprofits. I've been part of the nonprofit world for over 17 years. There's certain things they'll do and certain things they won't do. And one of the things they won't do is step into the situation for affordable housing. They will help those to be educated, but they're not gonna go in and fix everything. The government, should we have the government into the situation? Partially, yes, because it's the government that allowed for the higher interest rates and the affordability for people not to be able to have a place to live. So things that we need to change is everything, but education first. Mr. Roderbaugh. That's a great question. Can you repeat it, please? It's a long one, absolutely. It's been a while, right? Are there any initiatives that you believe could make homeownership more equitably affordable and available in Colorado Springs? First of all, I know a lot of people laughed when I said trailer homes. Um, but that is one thing for home buyers that we could look into is building cheaper homes, prefab homes uh, for first time home buyers out there. Um, they are smaller, uh, but a lot of them are pretty decent nowadays. Um, but we also need to make more initiatives to make affordable housing as well. Um, and not one person can fix that. Uh, that's going to take city council, that's going to take the mayor, that's going to take land developers, that's going to take an entire community to fix this problem. Not one person will be able to do this. And I just want to remind everybody that it is going to take the entire community to fix this problem because it will get worse in the next four years, five years. We'll have an even bigger problem on our home or uh, on our hands, and trailer homes won't be so funny after that. Uh, they will be a goal. Uh, so thank you. And Ms. Clark. Sally Clark, so, so let's talk about collaboration because I think that's an important piece of this. 
Um, BJ and Randy Scott have started the, really a discussion and are, have been working for a long time on this in terms of looking at affordable housing and an affordable housing initiative, which, which crosses over not only homeownership but also rentals. I think we build upon those relationships. Again, looking at Proposition, Proposition 123, which passed through the ballot box, which may offer us new opportunities. We have several housing authorities here in this area. We have the El Paso County Housing Authority and the City Housing Authority. They need to be at the table. So it's really bringing all these partners together to talk about um, how the builders can build cheaper, how we can look at city or publicly owned land that might be available to look at land banking and a lot of options that may exist today that we just haven't seen before. So essentially bringing everyone together. Sally Clark, thank you. KRDO News Radio is KRDO FM Security, Colorado Springs, Pueblo. KRDO AM, Colorado Springs. This will be our final question presented at least by Bart and myself. We will then move on to audience questions that were gathered during the uh, meet and greet earlier today. This question will have a 60-second answer, starting with Ms. Clark. If elected, what would affordable homeownership look like at the end of your first term as mayor? Well, again, I think it goes back to understanding what is affordability, which is really, if you think about it, based on national standards, you shouldn't be paying more than 30% of your income on housing, whether that's a rental or whether you're owning it. Um, I, I think that looking forward, we're going to look at our land use policies. We're going to look at how we can help. Government cannot do it alone. It has to be a community conversation um, as how, I mean, there are great programs. The county has a first-time home buyers program. The Colorado Housing and Finance Authority, known as CHAFA at the state, has programs that can help in terms of affordable affordability. Um, the Section 8 housing vouchers that are administered by the Housing Authority, how can we be more customer service friendly and connect those folks that really need it to the help agencies that provide it? So it will be more availability and uh, more opportunities. Same question for Mr. Rodebaugh. If elected mayor, I will be shocked. But. <laughs> But I hope the housing crisis will not look any worse. I will make it a goal. I will, I will assemble a dream team of people, and this is what it will take to fix this problem. I will work with anybody and listen to anybody who has great ideas to get this under control. Um, but th that is one of the hardest things uh, that we are facing right now. But affordable housing is a team effort, and I will have to convene with anybody and everybody to figure out how do we do this. Thank you. Mr. Martinez. Four years. You have a place to be able to rest your head at night. You have a place for where your children can grow. You have a place to look forward to come home every evening. Um, initiatives. Uh, Section 8 is a great program, but right now it's on a lottery, meaning just because you put your application in doesn't mean you're going to get it. Many people try that lottery multiple, multiple times. So we need to increase the viability for Section 8. We also got to speak with the developers. After four years with myself, the developers will be in line. No longer will you be able to build where you want to build. You're going to build where we need you to build. Four years, we're going to make sure our tax base 
and everything we're doing through budget-wise is working. Once again, we need to re redirect our situation, we need to take a look at the problems, and we need to involve the community, as well as the developers coming together. Thank you. Same question now for Mr. Mobilare. Yes. So by the end of my first four years as mayor, we will see progress, visible, noticeable, noticeable progress, where we're seeing diverse housing, innovative housing, different types of housing, and housing for all. I am talking housing for seniors, for families, for teachers, for law enforcement officers, for the baristas and college students. Different types of housing because the mobility and the ability to move from housing type to housing type is important and is needed. And so by the end of those four, first four years, you will see some newer types of housing, um, 3D housing. I just talked to a developer that's working on that. And um, we have to be okay with innovative types and innovative and new forms of housing. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, to quote the Habitat for Humanity representative once again that I talked to, she said, affordable housing is a broad term, and it is. Uh, and before you can solve a problem, I'm an engineer, I'm running for mayor, I'm going to bring critical thinking skills to this office. And first, we need to define the problem. And that means sitting down with the community, stakeholders, the developers, and the people in the planning department, which I mentioned before, and we need to define what our goals are for affordable housing. So as mayor, I'm not going to make any promises until I define the problem and understand the problem. It's that simple. You can't solve a problem if you don't understand it. So up here we're talking about vague terms called affordable housing. They need to be defined before you can start solving them. And finally, again, the question, if elected, what would affordable home ownership look like at the end of your first term as mayor for Mr. Teigen? Hopefully it's great for the community. Um, <clears throat> but again, I think, like, given fake promises saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you have to, you have to start somewhere. Like, you got to find the problem. But again, establishing a blue ribbon commission, getting developers with no skin in the game, getting them to work with the community, getting work with the, um, the planning department for the affordable housing. And one other thing that, again, de developers and these builders are banking cash off of our back, off of our sweat. And to me, they need to take 1% of their profit and put it into a trust for further down the road for any development that they do. 1% can go into a trust to build so we can actually afford to have affordable housing for our community. Because you're, you're always going to have to have it. You always have to wait to sustain it continuously. Again, these builders just keep on going and going, and they have to also put some blood in the game as well. Thank you all for your responses, and thanks also for sticking to your times. We have a few audience questions that we can get to. We're doing pretty good on time. I'm going to do my best. Your handwriting's really good, but see if I get through it. We're going to call this a 60-second question, timekeeper. Thank you. First up, Mr. Teigen, many historically affordable areas of our city are seeing increasing upscale redevelopment, which is driving up housing costs for low-income residents, often leading to displacement and contributing to homelessness. What would you do to help restore housing and economic justice to our most vulnerable citizens? <clears throat> Again, holding these developers, uh, doing, making them, they can 
them invest that 1% into trust so they can help these lower income people get the housing that's needed. Help the community get these houses built. The city needs to give up some of the land that they got. I mean, there's two houses on the, on the city's uh, uh, page that they own. What, what are they doing with them? Why don't they give it to the low income housing? So again, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that we can find. We gotta audit, figure out where, where everything's at. I mean, I've asked the housing, they don't even know about them. I mean, it's hard to find the actual property that the city owns because it's, it's across the board, especially with, the, with the, the land trade with the Broadmoor. You know, it's start holding these people accountable for what they're doing to our community because they are, they are gaining profit off our backs and they don't care because they, they're just, they just keep on going. They're just expanding. They want to do the Banning Lewis Ranch. They don't care what really happens to our community. That's my opinion. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you very much. Um, one thing that is being overlooked here is city policy. The um, city just, city council just passed a segment of Retool COS. And Retool COS is all about destroying traditional neighborhoods for high density development. That's what it's about. And don't kid yourself, it's called flex zoning. And this is an initiative out of the Colorado Springs Planning Department. And so as mayor, I would like to sunset retool COS. And I would like to redefine the initiatives that come out of the planning department so that they are pro-citizen, pro-resident policies for traditional community development, not big city, high density development. Mr. Mobilati. Growth and development, yes. That's a necessary and important part of city growth. The downside, the, the, the flip side of that is the displacement as, we, as you have so mentioned. Friends, I see an opportunity for collaborative leadership when last at the, have you seen at the mayor's office where developers and residents are sitting at the mayor's table, especially the people who these decisions are going to impact the most? At my table, having these discussions around the developments in their neighborhoods and the impact and how we minimize the impact of them is a new way politics can be done, is a new form of leadership that I intend to bring to our city. And that's how we minimize those impact. Thank you. Mr. Martinez. Once again, we have to remember who we're dealing with. We're de dealing with developers who are billion dollar companies. Their ability to be able to pay their way into politics is incredible. So we need to be able to stop that as well. What do we need to do? Um, last two years, those who are living up north have moved themselves down to the middle. Those who have lived in the middle are now in the southeast area. It's incredible how we have multi-generations living in one house. We don't have anybody who can live alone anymore. We push them out. Then you go downtown and you see the homeless, the families living in cars, living in certain situations. I myself have walked through these places. I've met with these families. Um, retool Colorado Springs. What better place to be able to build a small place for your aging parents because they can't afford to be anyplace else. The ability to help to take care of them is incredible. We need to do increased housing. Yes, we're going to get density only because of the fact that 
without density, you can't afford to live in certain areas just because the property itself is so expensive. So let's take a look at initiatives. Tig is right. We should make the developers for every half a million dollar house they build, they should put some money. Mr. Rotobaugh, <laughs> the timer's right there. <laughs> Can you repeat the question, please? Yeah, I figured somebody would ask that. The timekeeper may I have 60 seconds, please. Um, Many historically affordable areas of our city are seeing increasing upscale redevelopment, which is driving up housing costs for low-income residents, often leading to displacement and contributing to homelessness. What would you do to help restore housing and economic justice to our most vulnerable citizens? Okay, people are not gonna s stop upgrading their house. That's not gonna happen. They're gonna continue to do that, everyone does that. Uh, but what we can do is create more affordable housing is where we need to start. We need to provide initiatives to make affordable housing. And speaking on the homeless issue, one of the things that we could do is increase the budget. It's been $500,000 a year for the past three years, yet we've had homeless population continue to rise by almost 500 people every year. That number hasn't changed. Maybe our budget should reflect that. So that's one of the ways we could combat that as well. Thank you. And Ms. Clark. So I think part of this comes back to property rights, but gentrification has happened all over this, um, uh, this nation, frankly. Um, over on the west side, which is where I live, on the historic west side, we've seen a lot of scrape and builds where they take a single family Victorian, scrape it, build a, a duplex, then get a zero lot line, and sell the properties off for about three or four times what they originally were. Um, one of the things that I think is, and this is all part of that bigger discussion about whether densification is actually cheaper than more expensive. Um, I think what's important for us to note too is that when we look at this, we have to look at, and habitat, one of Habitat's um, core functions is to look at home repair and to help folks with repairs so that they can stay in their own home and not have to sell. I think there are a lot of different opportunities that we can look at as the, uh, through the mayor's office to look at these different issues and how they impact housing affordability. Our next question provided by the audience members, Kim and Karen. How would you recommend identifying locations in Colorado Springs where more affordable housing is most suitable? This will be a 60 second answer starting with Ms. Clark. So, you know, I don't know that I have the perfect answer for some of these questions uh, because we, we have to look at where there are open places for building to take place. But I do think the first place we start is to look at our land use policies. Where can we provide streamlined options for builders that want to build affordable housing? Where are those uh, sections of the community that offer those opportunities and also look at areas that can be revitalized rather than just scraping and building or assuming that we need to have a vacant property. We may be able to look at areas where there are the ability to come in and renovate homes just like my husband and I did when we rented our Victorian, which would have been cheaper to tear it down and build new. I believe that's part of building our community is to help those folks stay in their own homes and not have to find new places to live. Mr. Rodebaugh. Sorry to ask him, but can you repeat the question, please? Absolutely. 
How would you recommend identifying locations in Colorado Springs where more affordable housing is the most suitable? I would recommend driving around it. Um, there's a lot on the east side, on Academy, there's a lot of flat land out there. On the town, there's a lot of parking lots, there's a lot of buildings that are torn down, there's a lot of open lots. Uh, that is probably one place that we could start by building up, making affordable homes. Um, and that's the thing, we will have to make buildings higher. I know a lot of people don't want buildings high and everything like that, but we do need bigger buildings to increase the population or the deal with the increasing population. So I would, I would start with the east side first. Um, thank you. Mr. Martinez. So what we need to do is get government out of the situation. Once again, we need to work with the developers as a community. Um, HUD already has a program in which they'll come out for seniors who are living in their houses. They will help them to rebuild the house as far as for heating and all that. They'll replace uh, heaters, water heaters, at no cost to the residents, which allows them to be able to afford to stay there. We need to take a look to see, open up a plot of land, let those who are interested in purchasing that land come in with the money that they have. We use the money that they put all together to purchase that land. That way it comes in cheaper. Then we allow them to build on certain plots and certain housing. We're not gonna make it so dense people are right next to each other. That's already happening now. What we need to do is allow them to see what they can build prefab, build it themselves, any way we can do to help them with that. Mr. Mobilade. All right, I just wanna talk to the moderators for a second. We're having a hard time hearing. Okay. So if you can just speak into the mic a little bit more, because the speakers are in front no, of us. No problem. No. All right. Um, the government doesn't have to have all the answers. There are a number of incredible nonprofit and nonprofit leaders who are doing this work. And as mayor, I will work more closely with many of these leaders in our community. I think about Habitat for Humanity and their role in affordable home ownership. That is a very important and distinct lane that nobody else is doing. I think about the Rental Association. I think they need to be welcome to the table. I think about Homeward Pike Speak and their work with supportive housing. Friends, there's a lot of work being done in this community. We just need a coordinated effort. So when these problems come to the mayor's office, we have the solutions. And I have the leaders that are working on this. And that's what you can expect from me, a mayor that is working closely with our nonprofit and our private enterprises. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you very much. So as an engineer, once again, running for mayor, um, this is a multivariate problem. In terms of answering this question, there's several things I just wrote down. Open space, conservation, availability of natural resources, urban renewal, possibilities. All these, these, it's a very multivariate uh, consideration here. So what I'm saying is you need a mayor who's going to bring critical thinking skills to this office, not reactional uh, policies, um, but a mayor that's going to look at the problem from many facets and listen to advisors on how to proceed forward. That's really what this is about, is a leadership quality. Thank you very much. And Mr. Tigan. Do I gain this 15 seconds? I, I wish. Yeah, you can have it. You can have it. <laughs> <clears throat> so the question, it's kind of hard to hear. So the question was, uh, like, what area would you look at? Yes, how would you recommend identifying locations across Colorado Springs <clears throat> where more affordable housing would be the most suitable? I mean, number one, you gotta, you got to look at transportation. Obviously, they're, if they're in a low 
affordable housing, a lot of them don't even have a way to get around. Uh, growing up, one of the kids that grew up in low-income housing was transportation for our family. So we had, we had to walk like two miles to the bus stop, so it really sucked. That's one thing you also got to look at for affordable housing is the transportation side because they're already struggling. They make them struggle even more. But again, the city, it's got land. Donate it to the Habitat for Humanity. That's what they do. They build homes cheaper, and they, they let people get their own skin in the game to build their own homes. You can get, provide grants. Go out and find federal grants to help build these homes. Again, make the developers pay that 1%. No matter if they're building a mall, they're building whatever they're doing. It's 1%. They can do it. it. We'll put it into a trust. We can do things for our community a lot stronger, a lot better, and just longer. Uh, it, it is a multi-tier issue. There's not just be one thing, one location, because you can't just put them all on one side of the city and say, ah, here you go, because that's just that's not fair to them either. All right, we have time for probably one, maybe two more questions here. This is one from the audience as well. Can we do this a 30-second question just to make sure we get through everybody in a fair amount of time? Uh, Mr. Teigen, to you first. How can you help Habitat achieve financial support for its critical home repair program? Honestly, I think it's just a basic thing is letting the community know what they're doing. Uh, people donate hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Nonprofits get billions of dollars every year. It shouldn't, I mean, the, the city, again, just supports organizations that do this across the board. Help homelessness, helping veterans, helping low income with food. Again, it's just being out there as a leader and informing the community. You know, inform the community when there's emergency evacuation programs instead of keeping it to yourself. Again, being a leader and stepping up and telling people what the Habitat Humanity can do for them, you know, what the Salvation Army can do for them. It's, there's so much information out there that people don't know because it seems like it's just hidden. People that keep it to themselves as a power trip. And as a leader, you can't do that. You have to let the community know. Use the news media. Hopefully they'll help push the information out. So again, just like the emergency management stuff, let them know there's a program for all your zones. I mean, you guys know you're in a zone. You probably don't. So again, it's just keeping the information flowing so people know what's going on and who's helping them. Mr. Mitchell. All right, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank the people at the HBA. Uh, when I had an interview with them recently, they brought to my attention the need for vocational training for construction workers and people, the inputs into these type of activities, construction. And so uh, my meeting with them a few weeks ago, they enlightened me and I, I'm totally convinced that the mayor needs to lead in a de facto sense. Uh, you know, it's not quite part of the job description outlined in the charter, but it is part of the mayor's job to promote uh, community and the inputs into that community. And I would say vocational training is one, awareness is two, and then uh, also just making sure that these uh, entities, which I might disagree with actually at, at times, know that they can come talk to me and try to change my mind. If they, you know, like the HBA, I agree with them on some things and disagree with them on others. Mr. So. Mobilati. Mitch is right. Awareness, that is, uh, that is part of the job of a mayor. If I were going to guess Chris and her team what they would like, they would want a mayor that gets them that understands their genius and their unique role and contribution in 
this day in this in this conversation because where where they, they excel is affordable home ownership. They have found a way to crack the code on that. And that is done in partnership with our many partners. And as mayor, I'll be an advocate for them, including serving as a connection point and leveraging my triple strength leadership in the private, nonprofit, and civic side of things to ensure that they are getting the appropriate connections and resources, maybe in the future get another land donated. Who knows? Thank you. Mr. Martinez. So we ask developers for whatever material they have left, they can donate it to the habitat. We also ask them if they can do a 1%, 1% meaning that they allow their employees to be able to come out and help them build what needs to be built. Uh, we did a program, I was on the back committee of Harrison High School, so we taught a lot of kids who weren't gonna go to college, construction trade programs. In fact, I spoke with the gentleman who's building the South Academy project, we're gonna to work together to be able to get kids trained by the 11th and 12th grade so they can come out and start doing that kind of work. Once again, we can utilize the same kids who need to learn how to build houses, donate their time to Habitat so they can learn a trade as well as help with the building of the buildings. And once again, community investment, whatever you have left over at home, donate it to a program like Habitat. Mr. Rodebaugh. We can increase awareness to this. Uh, program. It is a great pro program that helps out a lot of people, and it should be on the news at least once a week, reminding people that it's there. Um, and, and we can all lend a helping hand uh, anywhere we can. Uh, this whole thing, it's going to take an entire community to solve this problem and help. So just a reminder is love your neighbor. Uh, help out help out any way you can. Uh, this is going to take an entire city to solve this crisis, and it is a crisis. Uh, so we will have to have everyone involved, um, but also just just awareness is one of the biggest things that's going to help and be one of our biggest tools and help with this situation. And Ms. Clark. So Habitat and and the the home repair program is really important. And and I worked when I worked for USDA and rural development, we did a very similar program. One of the things that I think we have here in our communities is um, Energy Resource Center that can help with um, repairing homes on those that can least afford it. Uh, looking to the builders, looking to the um, retail, like Home Depot or Lowe's that can donate um, items as well as looking to our builders who could potentially, or our HVAC system folks, the ones who are electricians that can donate their time. I think the mayor has the ability in terms of communication to bring that out to the public to say we need your help and to give incentives to city employees. When we have city employees who could do volunteer work, bringing that workforce together. I've worked on Habitat projects. They're amazing what you can gain in terms of just self-awareness and um, just, a great, um, just a great feeling to help out. We would like to thank all of the candidates for joining us and participating in this forum today focusing on affordable housing. We'd like to welcome back up Chris Lewis, the Executive Director and CEO of Habitat for Humanity for some closing statements. Thank you, candidates and moderators. So in full disclosure, Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity has a number of segments to it, including being a land developer. We are a developer because developers, some who are in this room, just so you know, help support us. They volunteer on our committees, and when we find land, they help us get it moving. That dirt becomes a house. We are the builder through volunteers. 
That's a big difference between us and a for-profit uh, developer because we don't pay our volunteers. They have to pay staff. So our home costs went pre-COVID from 150000 to 300000 So keep that in mind as you're looking at market rate houses, what other people are having to build their homes for and sell them. We're also an ally in keeping existing affordable housing in place. So that's another piece. We're a government advocate. We work with our local, state, federal government, not only in funding, but in ideas on how to address it. We have thrift retail. Go restore, go shop there. Um, that's an easy way for you to affordably upgrade your home. We're also an educator, both on the construction site and with our future homeowners and our current homeowners. So we have a lot of pieces that are going together. So many ideas that came from our, our uh, panel up here. I look forward to the second panel. I appreciate your energy, your ideas, your commitment to affordable home ownership and affordable housing. Thank you very much, Chris. As Chris mentioned, we will have a second panel of candidates coming up. We're going to take a brief 15-minute intermission. We'll resume with our second panel at 7.45. If everyone could be back in the auditorium a couple minutes before then to make sure we get everything rolling smoothly. Thank you so much. Hey, this is Andrew Rogers. You're listening to live coverage of the KRDO News Radio Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity forum with the candidates for Colorado Springs mayor focusing on affordable housing. Of course, the event is sponsored by Gold Hill Mesa. Thank you so much for listening to these important answers today. We wrapped up our first set of candidates just now. And of course, with 12 candidates, we have to separate them into two separate groups. So we're taking a short intermission as we get ready to present the second set of candidates this evening. So far with that first set of questions, you heard from the first six candidates on the ballot for mayor. Of course, we broke that down just uh, in the ballot order, one through six, and then again, seven through 12. You heard in the first hour of our coverage of the forum from Sally Clark, Caden Rodebaugh, John Tigan, Yemi Mobilati, Christopher Mitchell, and and Lawrence Martinez. Again, the focus on this forum has been about affordable housing and the issues uh, the individuals seeking to replace current Mayor John Southers see as far as the biggest barriers to that here in Southern Colorado, Colorado Springs in particular. Again, Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity is in the building of helping to bridge that gap and really provide that step up, that move into affordable home ownership through their programs as well. You can learn more about everything that Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity does throughout our community over at pikespeakhabitat.org. And as we did at the end of the first round of this forum with our first six candidates vying for office, we will also hear remarks from Habitat for Humanity Executive Director and CEO Chris Lewis as well. Right now, I'm joined on the KRDO Newsline by Stephanie Edwards of Gold Hill Mesa. Again, Gold Hill Mesa presenting the event broadcast today. You're welcome, Andrew. It's always a pleasure to join you. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, things going on with Gold Hill Mesa. And let's uh, get that update. What is the uh, very latest? How are things going over here in the uh, development in southwest Colorado Springs? We are going great. As usual, wonderful community up here and uh 
you know, big news. We are actually complete with Gold Hill Mesa, the neighborhood we're all built out. And, um, you know, we're a wonderful community up here, but we're excited about our future plans. And we're going to be expanding into our next phase of development, which is known as Gold Hill, because we're no longer going to be on the Mesa top. Um, And the area we're working on now has wonderful views of all the best things Colorado Springs has to offer, overlooking downtown, Garden of the Gods, Pikes Peak, and the Front Range. Um, So we're building uh, more homes, more single-family homes, some apartments, and just a variety of different housing types in the planning. Yeah, and it's definitely something that I know we've talked about in the past, that it's really trying to uh, kind of meet different residents at different stages of their lives and really not try to make it a one-size-fits-all solution, but really have a little bit of something for everyone so that uh, they can really find their exact perfect need. Yeah, we're just kind of at the nexus of, you know, this beautiful property that has so much history and contributed so much to the history of Colorado Springs with the Golden Cycle Mill. Um, And uh, then bringing all this new housing online, which our city so much needs more housing, and we're in an ideal location to deliver that. And as you said, um, different people in various stages and phases of their lives and being able to accommodate the growth, you know, their family, whether they're upsizing, downsizing, I like to call it right-sizing their life, but just being a part of this amazing community and as we revitalize this property and make it something great for the next generation. Um, and so we're really proud of our work and we're really excited about all of our future plans. Yeah, and when it comes to those future plans, we know uh, a lot is still kind of getting in the works. Obviously, the market has kind of dictated some of that, but there's still, as you mentioned, full steam ahead with a lot of the planning and even uh, kind of getting those talks in as far as ways to be able to really find that uh, spot with that new development and make it kind of those plans for your future home. You know, the market still demands um, housing for Colorado Springs. So we're, we're definitely looking at the market and the needs and really revitalizing our location here and, and bringing online same concept as we've always had is a connected neighborhood and a connected community, connected by trails and parks and pocket parks and open space. Um, but also just connected in a real community um, place-making sense. Yeah, and I know part of uh, that connection and things that you're bringing in are maybe a little bit newer for this next phase of development, also bringing in a little bit of some mixed retail and other options to kind of help uh, not only with the job situation, but maybe meet some other needs, not only just for the Gold Hill and Gold Hill Mesa residents, but really things that uh, might be a little lacking across southwest Colorado Springs. Yeah, we're going to have a relatively small commercial area, but hopefully to serve the needs of not just the Gold Hill Mesa residents, but this whole surrounding area. Um, We have quite a few uh, placeholders and pad sites for restaurants and new restaurant concepts, and we're in some great uh, conversations right now. And um, also just looking at a potential hotel and market. And then, of course, we want to keep the arts and entertainment going strong. We've had our music on the Mesa that's been going up here in Gold Hill Mesa for 15 years now. So we're um, looking to revitalize the smokestack and have our outdoor music park uh, really pay homage to that whole heartbeat of the community down there. Um, And I do have a little breaking news for you. We are committed to restoring the uh, smokestack. So we're going to start that 
refurbishment process here in the coming weeks. That is going to be awesome. And again, it is such an iconic piece of the region's history as well. And really something I know you guys, as you've built out not only Gold Hill Mesa, but now Gold Hill is really kind of used as that beacon to not only move the area forward, but still have that eye and respect for the past and where we've come from as well. So it's going to be great to see that refurbishment as well. Yeah, we really want to do something special, you know, preserving the history. But um, as you said, a beacon to the future and paying homage to the past and to the history. So, you know, it's just become a part of the skyline here. And um, so we're really looking to do something um, special and maybe engaging with a um, museum component and also the arts community to do something very special there. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic as well. And you mentioned as well that uh, sense of community, and really Gold Hill Mesa does it second to none, not just for the residents as well, but really welcoming the city to come out and be a part of the larger community with those events that you mentioned, the music on the Mesa as well as arts on the Mesa as well. And we're hopefully, knock on wood, going to get out of these cold months sooner than later and really welcome some outdoor music over at Gold Hill Mesa. Yeah, and even during the winter months, we continue to host our Art on the Mesa indoors. We can't accommodate as large of a crowd, of course, indoors at the community center, but um, we engage with Cottonwood Center for the Arts and rotate an art exhibit quarterly. And uh, we are even uh, talking with District 11 about um, having some student art exhibits in there. So we do bring music into our little stage indoors and do a little art opening uh, during the winter months, um, but we are excited to get outside and really launch our Music on the Mesa series this season. Yeah, and of course, it's going to kick off with another iconic event going on in Colorado Springs, and that, of course, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. We're going to have another kind of kickoff concert, as we've done in the past, over at Gold Hill Mesa, and that's just going to kick off a fantastic summer of live music. Yeah, we really have a great lineup in store this year. Um, as you said, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb kickoff concert, that's going to take place on June 4th, and we've lined up Last Patrol and Flash Cadillac. So we're going to have two phenomenal bands out here that day. Um, and, you know, the Hill Climb concert started during COVID just because they, they did an outdoor place and they used to do um, the Fan Fest, which has come back downtown. But we are keeping that kickoff concert And again, there's a real historic tie-in between the hill climb and some of the original founders of that and some of the original founders and owners of the Golden Cycle Mill over 100 years ago. Those two organizations had much in common. Yeah, and, you know, that's just going to kind of be, you know, just the tip of the iceberg. Who else can we expect uh, when it comes to music on the Mesa throughout the summer as we maybe start uh, earmarking some of the dates on the calendars? Yeah, well, um, we're starting even a little earlier this season. Everybody's ready to get out and enjoy some live music. And so we're going to kick off on May 6th with a Kentucky Derby concert that benefits the uh, Philharmonic Guild. And Dr. Fine will be performing at that concert. And so we're going to welcome people to come out and get dressed up in their derby best. I know we're pretty far from Kentucky here, but um, we're just going to have a lot of fun uh, watching the derby and listening to some great music on May 6th. Um, and then again, as we said, June 4th will be the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb with Flash Cadillac. Uh, and then August 12th, we're going to host a car show, um, and we're lining up some really great bands for that. 
And then on September 16th, we, the sofa killers will be returning. That was probably one of the largest turnouts we've ever had last year. So we're welcoming them back. Um, and that is going to be for a fall um, festival. And then the Blues Fest will also take place on the 30th of September. And Stephanie, as we mentioned, you know, this is not just exclusive to residents of Gold Hill Mesa. This is really kind of an open door for the entire community to come out, get uh, maybe meet some new neighbors as well. It's not just a kind of a gate kept event where it's only for people who live in the neighborhood, right? That's right. You know, our work and our passion for revitalizing this property um, is really about welcoming the outside into the neighborhood and connecting with the fabric of the broader community. So these concerts and festivals are really about engaging the broader community. And we regularly see, you know, probably 70% of the attendees come from outside of Gold Hill Mesa. And, you know, there's plenty of street side parking just with our whole concept of this pedestrian friendly neighborhood. Um, We don't have a lot of big parking garages or, um, you know, inconveniences for people to just come park get out walk bring their chairs bring their blankets and enjoy the concert and the food truck so we do extend that invitation citywide to come enjoy these concerts perfect and stephanie if people want to learn more information about everything going on at gold hill mesa the events as well as the future development down along gold hill what's the best way to do so yes our facebook is pretty dynamic and you can always check that for the latest uh, happenings, um, and that's Gold Hill Mesa on Facebook, or our website is goldhillmesa.com. And again, for more information, just head on over to goldhillmesa.com. Again, you're listening to live coverage of the Mayoral Forum, sponsored by KRDO News Radio, the KRDO Network, and Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity. We're talking about affordable housing with all 12 candidates running for mayor of Colorado Springs. Next up on the forum, as we're breaking it into two separate sets of six candidates with a total of 12 individuals running, we will hear from Lojinos Gonzalez, Tom Strand, Andrew Dalby, Jim Miller, Daryl Glenn, and Wayne Williams. And if you want to learn more about all the things that Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity does throughout the area, you can head on over to pikespeakhabitat.org. Again, we've uh, spoke with a number of these candidates as well throughout the past weeks, and we'll continue to do so ahead of the April 4th election. You can get all those details over at cardio.com. Just click on the radio tab. The mayoral ballots will be sent out around March 10th, so definitely make sure uh, you are voting for the upcoming election. Again, we're having the second part of our forum coming up still ahead right here on KRDO News Radio. Again, the event sponsored in part by Gold Hill Mesa. Let's head back over to the Shockley Zollebeck Theater at the Ent Center for the Arts, located on the campus of UCCS, for our continuing coverage of the forum, again presented by the KRDO Network and Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity. And of course, big thank you to Gold Hill Mesa for making this broadcast possible. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we will be hearing now from another set of six candidates vying to be the mayor of Colorado Springs in the upcoming April 4th election. Those candidates include Lojinos Gonzalez, Tom Strand, Andrew Dalby, Jim Miller, Daryl Glenn, as well as Wayne Williams. And as we've mentioned with the rules of this forum, myself and Bart Bedsell will be asking the same questions that we did of the first six candidates of the second six as well. So in effort of fairness, we are having the same questions 
from the second set. And again, the order was chosen by the ballot order as determined when that blind drawing from the Colorado Springs City Clerk's Office. We just cut it in half. So we did candidates one through six on the ballot during that first section. We're having this intermission now. Then we'll go to candidates seven through 12 for the second set. Let's head back over to coverage of the forum at the Ent Center for the Arts with myself and Bart Bedsall from our news partners at KRDO News Channel 13 getting ready for the second round of this forum. Welcome back here to our affordable housing forum, sponsored by the KRDO Network and Habitat for Humanity. I'm Andrew Rogers from KRDO News Radio, one of the moderators alongside Bart Bedsall of KRDO News Channel 13. We'd like to appreciate the candidates' time for joining us, as well as the audience in person, and those listening on KRDO News Radio, as well as watching the live stream over at KRDO. We'd also like to welcome up tonight's host, Chris Lewis, the Executive Director and CEO of Habitat for Humanity, for some opening statements. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, am I on? I'm going to project really loud. You, you just one of these. I'm going to make sure people hear you. I'm short. So let me figure out what I was going to say. So Pikes Peak Habitat is all about affordable home ownership, simple, safe, decent, affordable, but we're not just about home ownership. We are an advocate across the board for affordable housing. From the unhoused to the low-income seniors to our renters that are earning no more than 60% of the area median income that can find housing, sometimes through Gratio, they have a waiting list, through Mary Stegner, Partners in Housing who works so hard to find housing for our seniors and for single moms, for Mary's house. There's a variety of entities that are here to work as a coalition to bring awareness to affordable housing and how it impacts every single one of us. So often I hear those people. Those people live in affordable housing. It's workforce housing, folks. That's what we're all about. How do we move people up through the housing continuum? Whether the unhoused, those who are renters, to the top of the housing continuum of home ownership. This is what this forum's about. Helping you to understand that affordable housing impacts each and every one of us in a variety of ways. So with that, I look forward to hearing from our next panel and having all of their creative ideas coming forward. Chris Lewis, Executive Director of Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity. Once again, welcome to everyone who's watching in person, watching online, listening on the air. This is the second half of tonight's mayoral forum. We want to go over briefly the rules for tonight's forum. There's not many, so we hope you all stick to them pretty well. All candidates will receive the same questions. Candidates will have between 30 and 90 seconds to answer each question. The time for each response will be given before each question. 
If one candidate is directly mentioned in another candidate's answer, there will be a 30-second rebuttal allowed. Once we start the questions, we're going to go from left to right from the audience's perspective. The next question will be from right to left, and we'll alternate thereafter. With that, we want to give the candidates 30 seconds each to introduce themselves, starting with Mr. Lojinos Gonzalez. Uh, thank you. I'm Lojinos Gonzalez, Jr., and I'm running for mayor because I believe in service and giving back to our community. Uh, as a retired Air Force officer, county commissioner, uh, business owner, and former teacher, I believe I got the leadership and experience to best lead our great city forward. Uh, I have that experience that I think you can trust uh, working with our housing authority at the county level to make sure that we can properly address the issues being brought up today. Uh, I will also prioritize our public safety and bring crime down, uh, make sure we address our roads and infrastructure issues, uh, and make sure that we are addressing our water and housing concerns, uh, many which will be being brought up today. Uh, I will also focus on limiting government and keeping our taxes low. Uh, thank you. I'm Lojinos Gonzalez, Jr., and ask for your support. Mr. Strand. Well, good evening. Who is this Tom Strand guy? I uh, got up this morning and uh, walked my, uh, uh, my black lab and, and rescue a, a dog uh, around our neighborhood in Old Colorado City, uh, passed, and they were having an open house today at the Westside Community Center. Then went in for a budget committee where we looked at uh, what's going on in Gold Hill Mesa and on the south side of, uh, of Nevada and uh, looked at how we can do funding with uh, urban renewal. Then we had a five-hour meeting of city council, uh, and we looked at a whole bunch of issues, but we kind of focused on the issue of Connect Colorado Springs and the whole issue of what we were going to do with trying to find, you know, a way east-west connection. That's 30 seconds. I appreciate your time. We're gonna, we we got to stick to our time. There is a timer in the back, folks, just so they know exactly how much time they have left. Mr. Dalby. It's right there. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Strad. Now you know. Now you know. Well, what Tom didn't tell you is that uh, his schedule also includes a lot of forums. I think the only thing that there's more of in, uh, than candidates in this election is the number of forums that we've got. Uh, we had one yesterday, we've got two tomorrow. Uh, I think we're booked through the holidays. Uh, so this is actually our fifth. I'm starting to get a little acquainted with what the answers are going to be. Um, but I am a small business owner. I own an RV storage facility. And I'm dressed like this, but I dress like that a lot of times. I work for a living. My boots have got mud on them. I'm glad to be here because I like doers better than talkers. Mr. Miller. I'm Jim Miller. I'm just a guy. I work every day, all the time. I got done working probably 15 minutes before I got here. A lot of concrete work and other crap. I'm tired of being told we live in the number one place to live. I figured being just a regular guy, maybe we can make it the number one place to live. I'm overworked. I'm overtaxed. More than anything, I'm definitely not overpaid. Figured if anything, maybe one of us uh, fellow everyday overworked people might get a say in something for once. Mr. Glenn. I love this. 30 seconds to tell you about Daryl Glenn. Let me make it easy for you. My name is Daryl Glenn, and I am an unapologetic Christian, constitutional, conservative, pro-life, Second Amendment-loving American. And I grew up in Colorado Springs, and this is my home. I'm running for mayor because I want to make sure that Colorado Springs is the safest city in the nation. And I'm going to dedicate everything that I have in me to deploy and make sure that I bring that dream to you. 
Go to Daryl Glenn for Colorado. Mr. Williams. Good evening. My name is Wayne Williams. I'm running for mayor to address three major issues. First, public safety. Second, our transportation and infrastructure. And third, the economic vitality of our community. I want to continue the progress we've made over the next eight years. And a key component to that is making sure there are places for people to live. So I very much appreciate Pikes Peak Habitat and KRDO sponsoring this forum tonight. Thank you, and thank you for attending. Uh, for more information, for what you don't hear tonight, winwithwayne.org. Thanks. Thank you very much. We will start with our first question, starting with Mr. Gonzalez. In 30, or this will be a 30-second answer. What is your definition of affordable home ownership? Uh, thank you. And again, that kind of depends on the situation of the person. Uh, in each case, normally you will have a definition of not wanting to spend more than 30% of your household income on housing. So that's going to be different. You want to make sure that also you have the money to spend on your food, gas, uh, and utilities. And so those are issues we also have to address to make sure we keep costs down. And we've got to make sure uh, that we do it in a way that uh, makes uh, smart decisions. So I want to make sure that we cut regulations to address that and that we can make sure that you can afford that housing for entry level down payments so you can get into that home ownership. Thank you. Mr. Strand. Affordable housing obviously is in the eyes of the beholder, but for many of our people it's housing where they can get you know either a rental for somewhere less than twelve hundred dollars or they can find some kind of a home or a duplex that they can buy for maybe less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Very difficult in our area. And I think there are a lot of tools and a lot of issues that we can work with the city, with the state, with the federal government in order to provide assistance to people to find affordable housing. Mr. Dalby. So we have the advantage of being backstage and listening to all the first people uh, speak. So I know that they've already talked to you a lot about statistics. Again, percentage of your income is often used as a metric. What I'd like to focus on is the down payment. Uh, I have six kids. They're starting to be adults. Average house price in, the, in town is half a million dollars for a conventional loan. That's $100,000 for a down payment. If you're making anything less than $100,000 a year, uh, that's impossible. So we need to get uh, affordable housing where you can afford to get your foot in the door. Mr. Miller. Jim Miller, just a guy. Affordable housing is a place where it's my solace, where I can go ahead and be done working, take a shower, take a nap, get a bite to eat, and get right back to it without, you know, maybe having enough money to go ahead and have some fuel to get back to work again. It's pretty much it. You've heard all this stuff before. I got 10 more seconds. Next guy. <laughs> Mr. Glenn. Daryl Glenn. You know, one of the lessons that my parents taught me was affordable depends on how hard you want to work. And, and that's really the reality. When you're looking at the economic pressures and your, your goals for your family, I had to work multiple jobs growing up. So if you want to dedicate most of your income to housing, that's okay. But affordable is going to, be, it's going to come down to your budget, making sure that you can pay your bills and be able to provide for your quality of life. And Mr. Williams. The general definition is 30% of your income. One of the things that I've tried to do is work in a variety of capacities. So in 1994, Bob Isaac asked me to serve on the Colorado Springs Housing Authority Board. And we looked at a number of ways to address housing in our community, including the Aspen Leafs townhomes, which were a home ownership product, 
but also working to create housing for our military personnel in partnership with Peterson Air Force Base at Creekside at Norwood. So we have to address those, and we also have to work with the private sector as well. Thanks. Question number two, you'll have 60 seconds to answer. We'll start with Mr. Williams and work back the other way this time. Question number two, what do you consider the primary causes of the affordability crisis in Colorado Springs? I was um, at a city council meeting and I, I referenced the fact that when Holly and I moved to Colorado Springs, we bought a four bedroom home in Briargate for $105,000. At that point, one of the individuals in the audience who builds affordable housing products said, that's the cost of the lumber package today. And so when you look at the cost of raw materials, when you look at interest rates, there's a number of challenges that we have as a community, and frankly, many of those are flatly outside the control of those of us in Colorado Springs to act alone. But what we can control is the supply and working to increase the number of homes available. And that has an effect on the market when you have a scarcity, as is the case now, that drives up prices. It forces people to come together, seek roommates or other things, and so one of the, and have your kids live in the basement, but not that ours do. Uh, one of the things you have to do, though, is address those challenges, and I look forward to talking about those this evening. Thanks. Mr. Glenn. I think we can all take a look at what's going on. Interest rates are absolutely going through the roof. That's having a huge impact on families. But I think we also need to look at some of the policies that are coming down from the federal government and our state government that's absolutely increasing the cost of housing. When you're looking at environmental standards that have to be put in place, that is absolutely having an impact on the affordability of housing. You also need to make sure that we're maximizing property rights. So we need to be looking at our codes so that we're encouraging people to be able to maximize their property rights, allow people to move into their homes, allow people to rent out their homes at a cheaper rate. And then also looking at, we have global supply chain issues. That is a major factor that we need to look at and address. And finally, workforce development. When you start thinking about actually having people that are available to help with building homes. All of these factors, it's a perfect storm that's happening right now. Mr. Miller. May I have the question one more time? Sure. What do you consider the primary causes of the affordability crisis in Colorado Springs? Well, we already heard Mr. Glenn over here. He covered most of it. Part of the other piece of the affordability of the, a lot of the housing for most of us that work every day is actually a lot of the excess taxation, because I don't know about everybody else, but the more my money I earn, they take away. It's never made my life easier. It's been making it harder and harder each time, and I have to work more and more hours to be getting the same amount of money I can keep. So I think a lot of it's taxation. I think a lot of it's like he was saying, private property rights, if you do have anything, you got to go jump through a bunch of hoops to do anything with your own little chunk of dirt when you want to get home at the end of the day and do your own stuff. Too many rules, too many laws, too many taxes. So I got plenty of time left. You guys have heard this three or four times already, so let's get this guy talking some more, huh? With that, here's Mr. Dalby. Andrew Dalby. Uh, so I talked to a few of you out in the lobby. Um, and I've said this many times before, but uh, one of the reasons that I got in the race is uh, as a small business owner, I am suffering from the second worst problem you can have as a business owner, 
where I'm full and I can't take new business. So I hate telling people I can't take their money. And so I wanted to expand to a second facility. I purchased a piece of property or had a contract on a piece of property. Uh, by the time I would have been done doing everything that City Council and Pikes Peak Regional wanted me to do uh, to develop that piece of property, it would have cost me twice what I had originally planned and I would have only been able to earn about half of what I uh, would have originally planned. And most of those regulations were stupid, like put up a eight foot concrete block wall instead of a fence uh, and dedicate half of it to a uh, water detention pond because your neighbors aren't doing it, we don't want to have to deal with it. Uh, so when you uh, put in so many regulations that it, the base price is 250,000 bucks, that's your, uh, a zero dollar construction cost puts you uh, unaffordable. Mr. Strand, 60 seconds. And, and I wanted to thank you for being here, because uh, this time of night you'll have a lot of other things you could be doing. But I think affordable housing comes down to two things which, you know, other candidates have already mentioned, and that's money and it's supply. And right now in Colorado Springs and El Paso County, we don't have the supply. So that tends to drive up the cost of homes. The money element, I re, you know, living in old Colorado City, I refinanced my house three years ago for two and a half percent. Today, I think five or six percent, if you're going to you know, get a loan, a mortgage loan, it's doubled and maybe even tripled. And so that has created a crisis in terms of not having the money and not having the supply. I think what we need to look at is we need to look at some options so that we've got you know, more tiny homes that are less expensive, smaller lots, uh, you know, duplexes, and in multifamily homes, one bedroom. Uh, even if you may have one or two children, you may have to do that with one bedroom. But it's supply and money, and we'll work on making it better in both categories. Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, thank you. And the, the first, which is kind of mentioned, interest rates are so high right now, it's making it hard. But in general, and was also brought up, uh, were the high uh, down payments uh, that people have to put down to get into a home. And so as a member of the county's housing authority, I was able to work with our partners, non-government uh, agencies, as well as our county authorities in working with the turnkey programs to get our new homeowners or low-income homeowners with down payment assistance. And there are programs out there and available. We just need to make sure that we're matching them with those in need. And so we made sure we get those out there and work with our partners to expand that. Uh, second, uh, uh, thirdly, uh, we need to make sure that we are pushing back against any state laws or federal laws that are driving up costs of housing development. And we see this locally uh, at the state level when we see bills that are going to add costs uh, and lawsuits, uh, construction defense lawsuits that raises the cost of housing for things such as multifamily, condos, and those are the, sometimes the housing that the uh, lower income need to be able to get into. And so those are the ideas I think we need to make sure we correct. Thank you. KRDO News Radio is KRDO FM Security, Colorado Springs, Pueblo. KRDO AM, Colorado Springs. Our third question of the evening, and this will be a 60 second answer as well, starting with Mr. Gonzalez. What do you consider to be our greatest barrier for affordable home ownership currently in Colorado Springs? Well, again, the, the barrier to get in for most of them is this going to be the down payment. Uh, and so making sure that we can work with them, uh, making sure that we have sufficient uh, development in ways uh, that uh, 
again, allows us to reach all the price points to expand that and so that people can get the affordable housing. As uh, we see too many costs at the state level uh, and federal laws that are making it more and more difficult to uh, get the housing uh, stock up. And so one of the, again, what we need to do is advocate to make sure we're pushing back against those uh, rules. The cost of adding just one uh, additional uh, $1,000 to uh, the cost of housing is going to keep out 300 to 500 uh, home, uh, potential homeowners, and that's going to hurt them. The other thing is regulation. We need to absolutely cut regulation. Nationwide studies indicate that about that government regulatory uh, fees and costs add about 40% to the cost of housing. We need to cut our fees, we need to cut our regulation so we can make housing affordable for everybody. Mr. Strand. You know, I, th I think these two questions are very close. You know, the greatest barrier seems to me is we just don't have the right supply. I'm on the board of directors for utilities. Uh, today we just lowered utilities prices on gas and electric about $24 a month, which for some of us doesn't sound like a lot, but for some families it's the difference between uh, maybe getting a prescription and some food or maybe even getting out and having a meal at, at you know, Burger King or something like that. The other thing, I'm on the regional building department, and they have the lowest rate in the state for going out for permits and licenses and uh, ensuring that they, you know, we keep those costs low when people either do upgrades to their homes or they buy new homes. But it really is about increasing that supply, and we need to do as a city, as a county, as a state, anything we can to encourage builders and developers to build more houses at lower rates. Mr. Dalby. So uh, the biggest barrier, I, get, I think Lohinas and I are both agreed on that, that the biggest barrier to getting into a house is the down payment. Uh, but it is interesting, uh, aside from Jim and I, everybody here is, is in office or has been in office. And uh, it's, it's funny how the, the blame gets shifted to state and federal levels, but none of it belongs here. So you go down to city council, and you watch what they do, 95% of the time, they're sitting there negotiating with developers uh, on land use. Oh, I think you should plant elm trees there or instead of aspens. Or, oh, could you put some rock in here? It's ridiculous how they get involved in every single little minute detail. And uh, they don't let people who know how to build houses build houses. And all of that costs time and all of that costs money. So um, the biggest problem that we have in our affordable housing here is that we've got too much, um, I like these guys personally, but they need to butt out and let, uh, let the developers actually build something affordable. Mr. Miller. All right, I'm Jim Miller, just a guy, but a lot of this stuff with the, right, what's making it affordable, that was the question, correct, Mr. Rogers? What do you consider to be the greatest barrier to affordable home ownership right now in Colorado Springs? Laws, rules, fees, fines, taxes. That includes my payroll tax, all that fun stuff. That includes the utilities, all these access fees. Well, before I even turn the damn light on, I got 100 to $200 in just access fees and wastewater and this and that. And I already thought my tax were going to that crap. So all this stuff adds up and makes it a lot less affordable every day for all of us. You know, hey, thanks for the $24, Tom. Appreciate it. You know, yay. Help me out, bud. That's not even, it's not even a quarter of a tank of fuel, is it? Right? I still got to go to work, boss. 
if you could, Tom, and I, I mentioned it by name so he can rebuttal, can you get rid of some of these access fees that my taxes and everybody else's taxes already went to to make it just day to day affordable, please? All right. Jim Miller, just a guy, that's all I got. You know what? We will open up a 30 second rebuttal for Tom Strand right now. 30 seconds on the clock, please. Okay, Jim. You know, we set up in utilities about a $2.5 million fund to help people with houses so that the connection fees for water, wastewater, electric, and gas are a lot less because they can be hundreds to thousands of dollars. So we are moving in the right direction. We care very much about what we charge people in our utilities. We essentially, it's a municipally owned utility, you know, for services, and we want to make sure all of the ratepayers pay the lowest amount they possibly can in the state of Colorado. Thank you for that. We will return to our original question with Mr. Glenn. What do you consider to be the greatest barrier to affordable home ownership right now in Colorado Springs? Daryl Glenn, and I don't think we're, th we're thinking strategically enough because to me it's two issues. I have spent six months walking around talking to people, and this is an area of concern. Number one, it's water. It's whether or not we actually have enough water to be able to sustain what we have and to continue to grow in the future. And the second thing is whether or not we actually have enough public safety to be able to defend those homes. That's the issue that's out there right now. We need, you know, you understand the concept of trust but verify? Now it's like we actually need to verify because there is no more trust. And that's something that in this community we better deal with because if you've been here long enough, if we don't handle it, the voters are going to take it and put something on the ballot that's absolutely going to shut things down from a growth standpoint. We need to recognize that this is a real issue and this is what people are talking about. And finally, Mr. Williams. Holly and I have four children. They range in age from 34 to 27. Two of them have bought homes. But for both of them, they bought a condominium. If the number seven strikes you as an important number, it is. Because that's the number of condominiums that were built in a recent year in all of Colorado Springs. There were a couple thousand apartments, a couple thousand single family homes, seven condominiums, which is a lower price opportunity for someone to enter the homeownership market and begin accumulating the wealth that comes from homeownership. Why? Why have we not built condominiums? And the answer very squarely, unfortunately for us, rests in Denver where construction defects legislation has made it cost prohibitive to build condominiums. As mayor, I will advocate with the state legislature to fix those issues so that we are able to have that entry level homeownership product. Question number four is also a 60-second question. We'll begin with Mr. Williams. Are there any initiatives that you believe could make homeownership more equitably affordable and available in Colorado Springs? There are. In working with the affordable housing group, we have looked at a number of different options. And one of those that came up was the possibility of eliminating the city sales tax for affordable and attainable housing. When you've got a cost of materials that's a couple hundred thousand, that has a very real impact of five to six thousand dollars in the cost of a home. So we did that. 
Uh, we went through a process and as a city council we adopted changes in our sales tax to allow a rebate for affordable and attainable housing to eliminate that cost. And that's something that we can do to incentivize others to help build that housing without government building the housing. That's something we can do. Where do we go from here? Well, we can do the same thing at other levels of government because part of the sales tax you pay comes from the county, from, comes from the state, and I've talked to several state legislators about the possibility of the state taking similar action in the future. Mr. Glenn. Darrell Glenn, one of my primary initiatives is going to be to fix the mistake that we have not owned up to in this community. We have not properly invested in our infrastructure. When you go downtown, when you go down to the southeast corridor, when you're walking around and you're looking at the condition of our roads, curb and gutter, some of these areas still look the same as when I was a kid. And we have dropped the ball as a city from stepping up to the plate and putting in the proper infrastructure. Instead, we've said, here, developers, you go do it. If we're going to grow, we need to absolutely do it from an infill standpoint. And the only way it's going to be cost prohibitive, the right, only way it's going to work is if the city actually does its job and gets back to its core function of government and fixing potholes, fixing roads, fixing curb and gutter. That's what we need to do, and that's what we're going to absolutely do in my administration. Mr. Miller. Let me get that question one more time. Sure. Are there any initiatives that you believe could make homeownership more equitably affordable and available in Colorado Springs? More equitable and affordable homeownership. Where's my fees, Tom? <laughs> look, it's the same thing no matter which way you look at it. The more money you start trying to earn and do things, they take more and more of your money. Too many laws, rules, fees, fines, taxes. I say it all the time. It just never helped me taking more of my money away. The city, we've already paid for the roads how many times? Jeez. And they go, 2C, it's a good idea. The infrastructure stuff Daryl's talking about, we already paid for that crap. It should have already been done. Look, the fees, they annoy me, Tom. You're getting on me, bud. Sorry. <laughs> Look, the government ain't my daddy. It ain't your daddy. We're smarter. We've spent our money better than them. They need to let us keep more of our money and quit hindering everything we're doing all the freaking time. That's what I think. So that's pretty much it. And I think you're going to listen to Dolby next. So here you go. Mr. Dolby. I thought Tom has already re responded to that 30 seconds, you know, once before on pretty much the same issue. So I'm okay with moving on. Are you guys okay, okay. moving on? Tom is passing on the uh, rebuttal okay. opportunity. Right. It was literally the same rebuttal as last time. So. <clears throat> All right, so I, I told you that uh, I am a small business owner now, and, uh, but I didn't tell you that I grew up poor. So I've suffered from uh, government help on both sides of the, of the divide. So I can tell you that Ronald Reagan was right when he said that the most frightening words in the English language are, I'm, here for, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, I spent a long time uh, before, well, before my dad passed away and I took over the family business, I was a consultant. I managed a team of systems engineers on some very large projects. Uh, we got things done in six months, less. Uh, we did things on time and under budget. 
Uh, one of the people up here said that they've been working on, uh, on affordable housing since 1994. That's 30 years of failure, and the, and the problem is way worse than it was then. Uh, so uh, I'm a little like Daryl here in that uh, I think that the core functions of government are public safety, public works, and public parks. And if it's not one of those three things, then I don't want to do it as your, as your mayor. Mr. Strand. Well, the key words that we've got in this particular question are affordable and equitable. We in the city have got a city group, uh, it's not very big, three or four people, and they work with HUD, and they bring in funding based on, uh, you know, the, uh, how many people are in a family and, and what their annual income is, and I think it's got to be 50 or 60 percent, you know, of the average income for that community, in, in this case, Colorado Springs. And they work real hard with that money. I would double that department, I think, you know, to eight or nine people. I would work with more grants, and I would ensure that we reached out to people that don't know that, you know, they may be eligible for assistance either in a down payment or maybe eligible for money. You know, we're talking about purchasing homes more than, you know, getting into an apartment uh, and paying rent. So this is kind of affordable housing. And so I would work hard with that group to you know, coordinate with both the state level and the federal level of the HUD people to provide more housing for more people. And Mr. Gonzalez. Um, thank you. Uh, cutting regulations again and streamlining permitting, uh, those are things that are going to save time, time and that's going to save money for developments being built, and that's going to lower overall costs. Uh, I want to make sure that we also continue the lower fees uh, and uh, oppose any new fees, which we've, uh, unfortunately hurts our housing affordability. And again, helping those uh, match up with the needed assistance they need for getting that down payment. One thing that hurts housing affordability are monopolies. And unfortunately, uh, the city passed a water uh, resolution, uh, annexation resolution, that I think, or many believe, uh, adds a de facto monopoly to one developer. One developer submitted and drafted that resolution, and it was supported by Wayne Williams, not in my mind because it did anything for water, but because he wanted to support his millionaire developer sponsors and donors. I will be somebody who supports and advocates for residents and prioritizes residents and housing affordability. Thank you. Mr. Williams, you have uh, 30 seconds to respond to that. Here's the reality. The Colorado River has a lot less water in it than it used to. We as a community must be prepared to address the necessary steps that we take in the future. A standard that existed at the time, prior to the new ordinance being adopted, was you can annex in if you have enough water for the foreseeable future, whatever that might mean. We replaced that with a specific buffer requirement to make sure that residents in Colorado Springs have enough water. I absolutely believe that to be the case. You saw a recent op-ed in the Gazette uh, from Mayor Southers supporting that. But I think all of us recognize and That's 30 seconds. Thank you, Mr. Williams. We'll now have our final. Uh, we, we understand that the, there is a difference between the clock and the 30 seconds there. We'll now move on to our final prepared question before we move on to questions submitted by the audience during our earlier meet and greet. We'll start with Mr. Gonzalez. If elected, what would affordable home ownership look like at the end of your first term as mayor? This will be a 60-second answer. Uh, sure. Uh, 
that's a housing future where costs are down because we've cut those regulations, we've opposed those fees, and we've advocated for, not, for stopping those bills that come at the state level uh, that add costs. And that a community that comes together where we have stakeholder meetings with people like Habitat with Command of Com uh, Habitat for Humanity, working together with our uh, government and non-government agencies, our faith-based communities, our churches, and our community leaders to make sure that we can address this. And we need strong leadership. And that's why we're going to have those stake me stakeholder meetings, working with our local partners, and uh, as mayor, making sure that we're making smart decisions and growth decisions. Let's utilize efficient means of growth. Let's use our infill areas in the city first. Let's go into areas, potential on the borders or annexation areas, where we can efficiently and effecti effectively build new housing and affordable housing by using existing essential services where there's fire and uh, police already in place so we can make sure that our communities are safe and that keeps our costs down. Mr. Strand. You know, after the, the first year that I'm mayor, I think I, I would... Uh, want to look at a program that we currently don't have. Uh, city or the city uh, employees currently have about 2,800 employees. Most of those are in public safety, police and fire. I think we need a, uh, a affordable housing guru uh, that would uh, you know, uh, report directly to your mayor, uh, get a, at least a weekly report update on what we're doing to work with the state and federal governments to find more ways to find funding, and to, and to find any kind of grants that we can find to see that we can increase uh, affordable housing for people. And you've got to not measure this on a monthly basis, but a weekly basis. Uh, Mayor Southers has kind of set 2,000 as the number of affordable housing uh, that he wants. I think he has exceeded that in the last couple of years. So that's a good goal, but we need a lot more than 2,000. And we need this person that's going to be out there working this every day for you and other people in our community to find affordable housing. Mr. Dalby. Well, I like the way you term, uh, phrase that question because uh, you asked what it would look like at the end of my first term. Uh, I'm opposed to career politicians, so I've already pledged not to run for re-election. Uh, I don't want to spend the entire time in office trying to run for another one, like some of the people on this board here are. Um, but in terms of what it, what it would look like for affordable housing, um, so there is a, uh, a book that you should probably read if you're interested in affordable housing. It's called Strong Towns by a civil engineer by the name of Chuck Marone. I think it was written in 2019. Uh, and what we really need to focus on is dezoning and uh, um, then allowing what's called the missing middle of home uh, construction. So uh, I'm old enough to remember when zoning opposition was a conservative talking point, now it's a liberal one. But uh, instead of having these guys decide what you're allowed to do with your property, uh, you would have development rights held in trust by the neighborhood that's affected. Then you would vote, uh, be able to vote on uh, it and you would get the financial benefit. Mr. Miller. If, elect awesome. if elected, what would affordable home ownership look like at the end of your first term as mayor? All right, so we're supposed to have all the answers up here, right? You already know I'm Jim Miller, just a guy. I got callous hands. I'm tired every damn day. I was, got done working 15 minutes for the drive over here, and I was late. Look, maybe with the affordable housing stuff, the government ain't the answer. 
Maybe you're the answer is probably a little bit better to actually say with everything. Has anybody here that wants affordable housing talked to even a, a mortgage thing, a, a, a realtor, seen what things do exist, don't exist? Before we start asking for extra stuff, maybe we need to have a little bit more public education with teaching you what finance, credit, all this kind of stuff is. It actually helps you in the real world every day instead of just going on. More taxes. I hear more funding. That's just another word for taxes. I hear fees. That's more words for taxes. That ain't going to help me. Taking more of my money doesn't help me ever. Adding more paperwork and more bureaucracy, more laws, more rules don't help me ever. Your private property is your thing. Do your deal. Talk to some more people before you start asking some of these career politician stuff. Mr. Glenn. Daryl Glenn. He's tough to follow. <laughs> But I want to paint a picture for you and a vision because it really comes down to when you're out there looking for a home that's affordable. Number one, you're going to be able to make a decision that there's enough water for this community for you to be able to stay in that home and for us to be able to grow in the future. You're actually going to be able to park your car in the driveway without feeling like your catalytic converter is going to be stolen you're actually going to be able to maximize your property rights so that in the event that you want to do something with your property, the government's not going to get in the way and stop you from doing that. And you're actually going to see a community that's less reliant on federal and state funding. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the government telling me who, what, where, when, and why, what to do with my property. That's what it's going to look like at the end of my first administration. And finally, Mr. Williams. As I look to the future, if I'm fortunate enough to be selected by the voters of this community to serve as their mayor, there are a number of things that will continue and a number of things that I hope to implement. With respect to home ownership and housing availability, I want to make sure that we have a process that fully uses our allocation from the Colorado Housing and Finance Administration. There have been years prior to my service on council that we did not use the state money that was available and we sent it back to the state. And we should absolutely be using those funds to the extent the state creates them, we want to make sure that our community gets its fair share. Yeah, you heard reference in the earlier, uh, the undercard, the warm-up act, or the headliner, whichever you call that first panel, uh, but discussion of a new proposition that was approved by the voters. We want to make sure that Colorado Springs is able to qualify and receive those dollars as well, because they're coming from our tax money. Whether we like it or not, we want to make sure that our community gets its fair share. That's what I'll do. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you to members of the audience who submitted a question earlier. We'll get to as many as we can. The first one, this will be a 60-second question, starting with Mr. Williams. Please provide examples of other cities in the U.S. and or internationally that have effectively addressed the issue of affordable homeownership. What measures have they taken that you would promote in Colorado Springs and why? I'd say in terms of what other cities have done, I think I'm more focused on what they've done that I don't like. Uh, so I am not interested in a Cabrini Green. I'm not interested when I was in San Francisco seeing chain link fences around housing projects with people essentially fenced in. Uh, for me, affordable home ownership 
is dealing with individuals having that ability to make that decision where they live. So what do I see in other states, other communities? I see states and other communities that encourage condominium construction. And that for me, when you talk about affordable home ownership, which was the point of that question, is absolutely essential that we need to adopt in our community. Because people who are entering the home market need to be able to have an affordable product and the easiest and simplest way is to have condominiums available as virtually every other state does. It is the one glaring area, area in Colorado where we have a huge deficiency. Mr. Glenn. Daryl Glenn, it's not so much cities, but also even states, I think you need to look at that. And I like what's happening in Florida, whether you agree from a political standpoint or not. What you're seeing is an exercise of a pushback against federal and state overreach. And I think that that's something that's critical, especially for our community. Uh, what I am most concerned about is standing up for our home rule authority. We are in the best position to be able to decide what our government and what our community is going to look like. I don't want somebody that doesn't live here telling me who, what, where, when, and why is going to be in my home, whether or not I can evict them or not, whether or not they have to be vaccinated or not. These are things that if you take the money I don't want their share of the money. That's the danger of taking the money. They get to tell you what to do with that. So it's not about, hey, I want to run around with hat in hand and get my fair share. We need to make sure that we're standing up for the citizens of Colorado Springs. The only way we're going to do that is protect our home rule authority. Mr. Miller. You said it was hard to follow me, right? Jesus. All right, so I'm Jim Miller. I'm just a guy. Daryl Glenn is right, the Home Rule Authority thing. It's all your rights, all your stuff. Want to look at what other places are doing? You know, the Florida stuff like he's talking about. You don't need to hear it again. Jeez, get too much time on all this crap. <laughs> but let's look like a little bit more worldwide. What's Australia doing, right? They're doing a lot of accessory homes, subdividing some of their house, their house property so they can give it to a family member, converting a garage, yada, yada, tiny homes, drop homes. Uh, allowing a bunch of stuff like that, the accessory dwellings, right? Japan would be a prime example. If you really want to start fitting stuff in, there's a place that's got a lot of limited land and a lot of room. You don't get the Hilton, you don't get a mansion, but you know what? You got a place to take two hots and a cot, right? So maybe we look a little bit of that, but you know, make it a little bit bigger so normal sized people can fit in it and stuff. All right? There's plenty of ideas out there. We can look at stuff and build on it and Americanize the piss out of it, all right? Mr. Dalby. Yeah, that is a tough act to follow. I, uh, he is a crowd favorite, and, and everybody loves Jim. So uh, what can you say? Um, so I always like to say that uh, what I'd like to see the, color, the future of Colorado Springs look like is Colorado Springs as it was originally laid out. Colorado Springs was laid out by a civil engineer, and it shows. If you look at the parts of town that were laid out by General Palmer, those are some of the most desirable places in town. Uh, 120, 130 years later. Um, and I'd like to see more of that. 
internationally, you know, I think that uh, generally topping the list of uh, polls is Copenhagen and Amsterdam are, uh, have walkable, multimodal uh, places, missing middle again. I know TIG on the previous uh, panel mentioned how affordability isn't just about getting your mortgage payment, but it's also about being able to get to work, get to shopping, and be able to, to commute. So um, I'd like to see things look more like that. Mr. Strand. You know, you can tell how much fun we have on the circuit here, and uh, it, it has been enjoyable to, to travel with these guys. In my 30-year Air Force career, I spent 10 years overseas, but it's been quite a while, so even in England or Taiwan, I, I think their, their practices are so much different. But here in the United States, I was stationed in San Antonio and in Dayton, uh, Ohio, uh, as a JAG in the Air Force. And both of those cities, I think, have come up with some great ideas that we can kind of copy and mim mimic. Uh, tiny homes and tiny villages are one of them. Uh, another area is not to have this litigation on construction defects. Uh, those states make sure they don't have that litigation that Mr. Williams mentioned. And so I would go to both Dayton and San Antonio and look at the way that they're dealing with their villages, the way that they're dealing with how they're getting their funding. A lot of it is a, a public-private partnership, what they call 3P in order to build this, and so I would do a little bit of work and go out there and find out how we can, you know, use those ideas to make our community better and more affordable. Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, thank you. So I'm going to look at the states that have uh, done things such as cut regulation, cut fees, giving back local control to decision makers so that we're able to make the decisions that cut, uh, keep our costs down. Uh, and again, it's why I've opposed impact fees. The city passed a new impact fee that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, to new commercial and uh, housing developments. Those are the kind of things that are going to add to the burdens. We need to reverse that. We need to make, keep our costs down. Uh, we need to have an advocate and leader who's going to fight for our residents, fight for our community to push back on those bad bills. And I have that leadership record uh, advocating and pushing back on those bills at the state and getting some of those uh, bad bills stopped. And we're going to continue to do that. And the last thing we're going to do, one of the things of housing, uh, a little bit ho a larger housing, guess what? Your utility rates are through this, the roof. Uh, utility rates in the last several years have gone up for the average person 30 to 40 percent. That's hurting your ability to stay in that home as well. I'm going to work for our utilities to keep bringing those utility rates down as well. Lower fees, lower taxes, uh, lower regulation. Thank you. This is another question on, submitted by the tax. audience oh, earlier. Our next audience question will start with Mr. Gonzalez. Would you support a proposal that if a builder is approved for 100 homes, that a certain amount need to be designated for affordable housing? Uh, well, again, this, this goes back to one of the things uh, that does concern me is any uh, blanket approvals or, uh, or mandates. Uh, and what you end up doing is you have unintended consequences. So, again, this is one of those state rules that in some, uh, some other states or federal uh, uh, states or municipalities or counties might want to pass. However, there's usually an unintended consequence when government involves itself uh, in private transactions in businesses. It adds costs. So you may have something that's a lower cost here, but it's made up in higher costs everywhere else. And unfortunately, this is not one thing where if we make one set of housing affordable, that fixes the issue. These price points are going up at every level. 
We need to address it at every level. And if you do something like that, that just adds and pushes the costs elsewhere, our community is not going to be able to develop the housing we need for everybody and make it affordable for everybody. So, uh, so I have, would be opposed to that because those are the type of concerns. Uh, we should not be getting more government involvement and more government uh, regulation. We should be cutting our regulation to cut costs. Mr. Strand. I really think, you know, it's sort of like uh, this rent control thing that the, the state is looking at. I think when you get government involved with telling you and me how they're going to, uh, you know, take our resources away from us, it's a huge mistake. And, and I think rent control is a huge mistake. But in this specific question, I, you know, I kind of agree with Mr. Gonzalez. I think what would happen with our builders and developers is they would just build that additional amount into the cost you know, of a multifamily unit, an apartment, or single family. So I would not want to support adding this on to the backs of uh, builders and developers, uh, even though the outcome sounds like it would be good by providing more affordable housing. I think what you need to do is you need to encourage builder and developers to look for different opportunities that they can get urban renewal status, that they can get some sort of a, a tax rebate, a TIF that we call that, uh, and in fact, that way build into the, you know, their costs and everything a, a, a buffer so that they can provide more affordable housing. Mr. Dalby. Again, Andrew Dalby. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. I, it, sometimes I get questions and I kind of question the assumptions that are behind them. Uh, we talk about affordable housing. I want every house in Colorado Springs to be affordable to the person who lives in it. So uh, when you say you have to, every hundred houses you get a permit for, you have to make a certain number of them affordable. Well, I'd hope they'd all be. Uh, so we need to, again, not try to get the government involved and, uh, and try to dictate certain things because it's just going to shift costs. It makes everybody else's costs go up and it makes the total net costs go up. It's like uh, hospitals where, they aren't or where they're required to treat you. So uh, a lot of people go, they don't pay. You get a $100 bill for a Band-Aid. Um, so absolutely no, I don't support that at all. Mr. Miller. All right, Jim Miller, just a guy. I guess you already figured out. There's uh, some of us up here that don't like the government, but we have Tom who's the government, and we got Williams who's the government up here. So I don't know. I don't know what's all this stuff. So the same thing you've already heard. Look, we don't want no more government. We don't want no more stuff telling us what to do. Do what you're going to do with your own thing. Forcing things is going to be some kind of cost, some kind of tax, some kind of fee that you're going to pay for anyways. You can't rob Peter to pay Peter. So what you're really asking is you're asking your friends, your family, your neighbors to freaking pay for some other stuff for some other things. You're not getting anything plus you're paying for it. It's another tax. It's another fee. That's it's funding. Yeah, that, I like that one. That's my favorite. Funding. All right. Daryl's going to go now. I like this guy. He's all right. Mr. Glenn. AKA Peter, right? <laughs> Daryl Glenn. Again, I'm running to maximize property rights. So the answer to that question is no. The one thing that I will hold people accountable for is making sure that we have water. That's the thing that you want to regulate is making sure that we have absolutely enough water to sustain our community and plan for our growth. And then secondly, making sure that from a public safety standpoint that you are safe in your home. 
That's the proper role of government, not interfering with private property rights. Mr. Williams. You know, sometimes it's nice to be unanimous, uh, and in this case, I think we all are. Uh, adding a one house per hundred requirement essentially means that the cost of every other house went up by at least one percent, and probably more to make the markup work and the process. It is not an effective way to address affordable housing. Instead, what it does is it drives up the cost for a hundred homes so that one lucky lottery winner gets an affordable house. And that's not fair and it's not the role of government. I do think there are times when someone, and a developer may come in front of council and offer something as an incentive. And that's a different story than a mandate, but I absolutely oppose that as a mandate. We need to focus on core functions of government. Thanks. We have time for just one more question. This will be an audience question as well. Yes, housing is market-driven. However, if no intervention, are you supportive of Colorado Springs becoming like Aspen with the workforce having to live and drive one to two hours away? Economically, environmentally, how is this sustainable? We'll do 60 seconds. First to Mr. Williams. So I am not in favor of us becoming like Aspen. Uh, let me just make that clear to start with. Uh, I do not believe it's appropriate for us to say, you can't live here unless you're one of the upper half. Uh, we need to make sure there are a variety of home types available. I've talked about a couple different ways to do that, including changing our construction defects law so condominiums are built. I've talked about ways to incentivize where we have done that on city council by eliminating the sales tax on affordable and attainable products. Tom's already talked about one of the things we did on Colorado Springs Utilities, which is to eliminate those connection fees. So there are things we can and should do to ensure that we have a mix of units available. We've also adopted Retools Colorado Springs. And one of the things that does in new communities is to allow a zoning that gives more flexibility, allows alternative or accessory dwelling units, allows other types of housing that would not normally be permitted. Mr. Glenn. Daryl Glenn, I, you know, I guess I disagree with the premise of the question. I mean, the focus really needs to be on what's the proper role of government here locally with regard to regulation, with regard to maximizing property rights. Because when we do those things, I believe that's actually going to be able to bring the cost down. That's what is important for us, and that's our proper role. Because when you're actually looking at the overall cost of the home, if you can reduce those fees to the absolute minimum that it can be, when you make sure that you are dealing with our global supply chain issues and we're focusing in on becoming more locally sustainable with regard to our workforce and the supplies that are here, that is going to be more economical for somebody that can actually want to live here. And quite frankly, if you can't afford to live here, get a roommate. But it's not the government's job to create affordability. One more time, Mr. Miller. Let's freshen that question up again. Sure. You and me both. All right. Yes, housing is market-driven. However, if no intervention, are you supportive of Colorado Springs becoming like Aspen with the workforce having to live and drive one to two hours away? economically, environmentally, 
How is this sustainable? That's the question. That's a ridiculous question. All right. I'm Jim Miller. No, you shouldn't have to live two hours away from wherever you work. No, I don't like Aspen. No, this isn't Aspen. The government's job is just safety and infrastructure. I don't know why everybody wants more government. I don't understand that. But maybe with some of the structure stuff going up, if they do build some multiple apartment type things, maybe you can buy the goofy apartment or something. This is... This is a dumb question. <laughs> I'm sorry, I dropped out of college. I, I, that was a dumb question. <laughs> Dolby's gonna go next. I, I still got plenty of time. I'm good. Dolby. Mr. Dolby. Public education, Jesus. I think we're shaping up at hitting another unanimous uh, answer here uh, in that we do question the, the premise of the question. Uh, markets work, uh, they, they, they exist, you can't change that. I mean, the, the law of supply and demand, you might not like them, but uh, they're real. And so if you try to live in a fantasy land where you can manipulate them or change them, it's, uh, it doesn't work. Um, we aren't Aspen, we have some very significantly different topology and uh, some other issues there. But no, of course, nobody wants us to be Aspen. Nobody wants to have uh, houses that sit empty all the time and are only owned by out-of-state millionaires and billionaires and the workers have to be bussed in from dormitories from two hours away. Nobody wants that and that's not going to happen if we get government out of the, uh, putting its thumb on the scale and allow the markets to actually work. Mr. Strand. You know, this is an interesting question because earlier we talked about equity and affordability. This almost seems to be the antithesis of that in terms of what Aspen is doing. Uh, I don't even know how you can force people to live you know, long distances from where they work, but to do that, to me, seems ridiculous. Recently, I've been to Telluride. Telluride actually subsidizes housing uh, for their industry. They're in the skiing industry, too, and they subsidize their housing to actually allow the workers to be closer uh, to where they're going, to the restaurants and, and to the skiing areas uh, where they work. So I, I think what Aspen is doing is, is really discriminatory, and I would never recommend that for a wonderful city like Colorado Springs. And Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, thank you. And, and clearly, I, I don't want us to be Aspen. I don't want us to be Denver. Uh, and I don't, again, as the question as will be brought up, I don't think we're going to have that because we're going to address these issues. As mayor, I'm going to make sure that we bring everybody together, our partners, and make sure that we're addressing these issues. We're going to make sure we keep our regulations, uh, we're going to cut our regulations. We're going to keep our fees down. We're going to work with our partners to make sure that we're getting to a situation where we're having less government involvement, and that's going to help our situation. We want to make sure that the free market is utilized like it's supposed to, and with limited government, we're going to be able to make sure that we are addressing the issues for housing uh, as we should, limited government, and by making sure that we also address the issues that are important as well, the public safety, as was mentioned. It's our number, that's the government's number one priority. We need to make sure that's addressed, our roads and infrastructure as well, and that's going to benefit all the communities, and that's going to make sure that we, may, we become, uh, become, we stay the great city that we are, because I don't want to be Aspen. I don't want to be Denver. I want to remain the Colorado Springs that brought me back when I left years ago when I finished college and came back because I love this community and we can keep it. Thank you very much for all of our candidates for their time.
time in uh, joining us this evening, as well as all of you in the audience and those listening on KRDO News Radio and watching at KRDO.com. We'd like to welcome back Chris Lewis, the CEO and Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, for some final thoughts. On the survey, it said 9 in 10 of the respondents, they want our local elected officials to work towards solutions for affordable housing. It's a bipartisan issue requiring nonpartisan solutions. So that's one big piece. The top three issues identified in that survey included affordable housing. Now, Pikes Peak Habitat is focused on affordable home ownership. We focus on home ownership because it creates generational wealth and stability. But that does not mean all of the other levels of affordable housing, no matter your economic status, does not matter. It does. If you care about education, if you care about health, that's mental and physical, if you care about the environment, if you care about our young adults being able to acquire a home, whether through rental by choice, home ownership, then you care about affordable housing. In our community, to have a strong foundation for all the jobs that are coming here, to have a strong foundation, you have to have the workforce people who create and service that foundation. That's our hospitality, our service industry, it includes our daycare providers, those who are taking care of our senior citizens. It includes our first responders. There's a police officer out in the hallway who stated they cannot afford to buy a home here. Are they going to be able to stay? There is no one single solution nor one single cause to the crisis of affordable housing. It has been building for years. So we don't have a silver bullet to make something go away and address all the affordable housing in one mayor's four-year term. What are you going to do to get involved, to volunteer, to get the word out, to become educated about what affordable housing is all about? It is not about those people. Those people are your next door neighbors, they are the senior citizens who would like to downsize and they have no place to go. It is the local professionals who want to rise up and have a bigger place to create a family. They have no place to go. Our builders do not have enough staff. Why? Because there's a crisis and a number of construction workers who are leaving the workforce. There's so many pieces to this. Become educated, learn about what affordable housing is, how it impacts you, because it impacts every single one of us. And remember to vote on April 4th. I want to thank both panels. You have been phenomenal in providing a number of ideas, a lot of fun chatter, but we want to see action from whoever the winner is. Not only from the winner, but from every person that has been up here that is committed to serving our community. I also want to thank not only our candidates, and I'll bring out the other six here in a moment. KRDO, you've been a phenomenal partner with us. Thank you for helping us get the lens on affordable housing. 
I also want to thank a number of volunteers, my board members, committee members, and a phenomenal Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity team and the UCCS Int team who pulled all of this together. I'll let Bart, Bart can bring everybody else out. Most important thing, April 4th, that's election day. Thank you all for watching, for listening, for being here in person. Have a great night. Hi, this is Andrew Rogers, and you've been listening to live coverage of the mayoral forum focusing on affordable housing issues. Brought to you by KRDO News Radio, the KRDO Network, as well as Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity. Big shout out to Gold Hill Mesa sponsoring the event, making this event broadcast possible tonight. Also, want to thank all the candidates for mayor that joined us on stage from the Ent Center for the Arts, Sally Clark, Caden Rodabaugh, John Tigan, Yemi Mobilabe, Christopher Mitchell, Lawrence Martinez, Lojinos Gonzalez, Tom Strand, Andrew Dalby, Christopher Miller, Jim Miller, Daryl Glenn, and Wayne Williams. I want to thank all of those candidates for taking this time out of their busy schedules leading up to the April 4th election to speak about this very important topic. Also, huge shout out to all the folks over at Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity helping to put this event together. Of course, Carla and Ian, as well as CEO and Executive Director Chris Lewis. As you heard throughout the forum, we talked with Chris Lewis about the affordable housing issues currently facing Colorado Springs as well. You can learn more about that as well as all the work that Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity does through their website, pikespeakhabitat.org. Again, the ballots will be sent out for the mayoral election right around March 10th, so definitely be on the lookout for that ballot. There's obviously the mayor's race, but also a city council race as well. So you get more details about everything going on with the upcoming municipal election over at KRDO.com. Again, the ballots are due back for the election on April 4th and Begin with the 12 candidates running for mayor. Definitely a lot of uh, interviews have been going on. You can catch up with all of those interviews, all of our coverage of all of the mayoral candidates on KRDO.com. Just click on the radio tab or search for KRDO News Radio wherever you get your podcasts as well. Definitely a great way to hear more in depth and uh, the different platforms of the various candidates looking to replace Mayor Southers to become the city's third strong mayor. And again, This whole night has been focused on affordable housing efforts, so to learn more about everything going on when it comes to affordable housing as well, you can head on over to Gold Hill Mesa, also pikespeakhabitat.org. Also, big thank you to all the crew here at KRDO as well for helping to put this on. Shannon Finn, our chief engineer, Jerry Killian in our operations department. Big shout out to Chris Moyer back at the studio. Justin Hart, who joined me at the end center, making sure that our radio broadcast stayed smooth as well. Of course, couldn't have done the actual forum, all of the actual questioning without the uh, help partnership Really, the uh, working relationship between Bart Bedsole and myself has been huge. So definitely big thank you to Bart for 
being on stage with me, joining me for that, and making it a great event as well. Again, thank you for listening to our coverage of this mayoral forum focusing on affordable housing efforts. You can get more information again about Gold Hill Mesa over at goldhillmesa.com. Learn more about Pikes Peak Habitat for Humanity at pikespeakhabitat.com as well. Well, on behalf of all the KRDO crew, thank you so much for listening, joining us for this mayoral forum. I'm Andrew Rogers. Have a great evening. KRDO News Radio is KRDO FM Security, Colorado Springs, Pueblo. KRDO AM, Colorado Springs.